Today's script pays wonderful homage to Hollywood's classic kids on bikes hits like E.T., The Goonies, and most recently, Stranger Things. So don't move a muscle. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unproduced Table Read here on the Popcorn Talk Network. You're hearing the theme to The Goonies, because I think today's wonderful script, Lost Radio, has shades of The Goonies. Um, as I mentioned, guys, this is the Unproduced Table Read, where we read Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features. Today we're reading a very exciting, kind of family-friendly adventure pick called Lost Radio, written by the very intelligent John Swansiger. Hello. Who, who, yeah, it's good to see you, John. <laughs> Thank you. I have a very exciting story about John, and I'll tell in a minute. But before we do that, Ooh. I want to introduce the rest of my brilliant <laughs> actors. So if you guys could introduce your names and who you're playing today, that would be excellent. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Guy. And today I'll be reading Adam. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. I am Timothy Mike. And today I will be playing Garrett and Robbie. Hey, guys. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. And I'll be reading for Ella. Hey, I'm Haley O'Connor. And today I am reading Karen, Colin, James Vess, and Jenna. Hey, I'm Johnny LaQuasto. And today I'll be reading Ben, Dustin, Sheriff Munson, and LR Voice. We don't there have a, there we are. There I am. I'm Sarah <laughs> And Jeff, I didn't know how to read all my character names. Uh, I've got you if you need She's it. reading a bevy. I'm mostly reading Viv. Mostly oh. reading Viv. Um, we have a little Ed Derby in there, a little librarian, but Viv is your primary um, role. Also so sheriff. And the sheriff. That's that true. One. And the sheriff. Another sheriff. Uh, Another sheriff. Multiple sheriffs, yes. <laughs> um, Feeling intimidated by the second sheriff in town? Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, put, I put the cops in the corner over there. I don't know what that says about me. But um, <laughs> guys, this is the unproduced table and we have the very brilliant John Swansiger. First of all, you two, thanks for being here. This is both Sarah and Johnny's first time on the show. Ooh. Two very, very talented friends of mine, so I'm excited to have them. There's two new sheriffs in town, y'all. <laughs> Get ready. Very good. Um, as I mentioned, though, we also have John, who's our writer. Very funny story. I'll try to keep it brief. But um, about two years ago, we went to my fiance's best friend's house for a house party. Who's we? This is my fiance and I went to her <laughs> oh. friend's house. Um, and one of her roommates was this guy named John, who I had a great conversation with about E.T. for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and very providentially, I was scanning the Blacklist website and saw that one of the highest rated scripts for December was this script, Lost Radio. And I saw the name and I was like, John Swansiger. Oh my gosh, I talked to that kid for like an hour about <laughs> E.T. like two years ago. The time's ago. getting longer. You spend the whole party talking about E.T. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I spent nine hours talking about E.T. It was like nine hours. There was no party. Um, we may have had a couple <laughs> drinks before that. but Maybe one um, or two. One or two. But how perfect that the script I found, I think, really kind of borrows from the magic of those 80s classics, John. And uh, we're so excited to have you here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really yeah. exciting. Um, that being said, can you tell us a little bit about Lost Radio, sort of some of your loose inspirations and the world that we're entering today before we dive in? Uh, yeah, so I started uh, thinking about Lost Radio probably about three years ago. It just was like an idea that came to me. I thought at a know, house party, maybe and maybe at a house party. You know, it might have been a really brilliant guy named Jeff who uh, gave me the inspiration. Don't get no, 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 don't get <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and um, yeah, I just sort of started thinking about you know a story that that was sort of in that Amblin sense, and um, and it was just kind of evolved from there. It went to you know. When I was a kid, I would do these fake uh, radio broadcasts, you know, mm -hmm. with my friends, just on tape to nobody in particular. And, you know, growing up in Ohio, there's not a ton to do as a kid. So yeah. you sort of go out into the woods and pretend that there are more fantastical things than there really are. Yeah. And I thought, what if those fantastical things were actually uh, real and existed? So 
Where in Ohio are you from? Remind me. Uh, Canton. So about an hour okay, south of Cleveland. Because right. you went to Wright State. Is that right? I did. We yeah. can do this off air, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think my question so is, is Lancaster a reference to Pennsylvania? <laughs> no. Actually, Lancaster is um, Lancaster's kind of anywhere. I don't really have like a state in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, it just sort of use the reader or viewer's sort of projection of whatever they think it is. But it is like a mountain town, you know, kind of up there, kind of middle of nowhere. But um, yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of Lancasters. There is a Lancaster, Ohio. So. There's Lancaster, Ohio. There's yes. Lancaster, California. There you Lancaster, go. So Oregon. this is Lancaster, USA. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Well, John, we're so excited to have you, and we love the script. And we're going to read you. it now, and then, of course, we'll interview you after. Great. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, this is Lost Radio, written by John Swansinger. Fade in. Exterior, Lancaster Mountain, night. An imposing mountain scrapes the night sky. We pass over its peak, moving to the dense forest below. After miles of trees, the massive redwoods give way to the flickering lights of a small town. This is Lancaster. Exterior suburban home, night. Sprinklers hiss in front of a modest two-story house. Before we can get familiar, we push in and continue up the driveway, moving past this house to the guest house behind it. Exterior guest house continuous. The guest house is unkempt with the bottom half wrapped in overgrowth. Viv, 40s, emerges from the car parked in, parked in the driveway. Her hair is pulled into a messy bun, and her shirt is dirtied from days' worth of moving. She pulls a box from the car and heads towards the guest house. The box slips from her hands, spilling all over the driveway. Viv stands over the mess for a moment. Damn it. Interior Adam's room, guest house night. Adam, 12, bespectacled with messy hair, sits alone on his bed. He looks around at the unpacked boxes and bare walls of his new room. He releases a frustrated sigh, then retreats to his phone and starts scrolling. The phone shuts off, dead. He collapses backwards onto his bed, and Viv enters holding a box. Adam doesn't move. It's okay. I've got it. Adam sits up, but it's too late. She's already set the box, she's already set the box marked Dad's stuff on the ground next to the other boxes. When do you plan on unpacking? Are you putting that here? I figured you could go through some of it, see if there's anything you like. I'm good. Well, you never know. Adam rolls over and plugs his phone into the wall charger. We should do something fun tomorrow. There's a ton of stuff around here. Hiking, kayaking, rock climbing. I'm going <clears> to <throat> head to bed. Sure. I'll help you put the sheets on. She goes to grab the sheets, but he's pulled them from the right, box. I've got it. Okay. She concedes, then walks over and kisses him on the head. Night, sweetie. On her way to the door, Viv stops at Dad's box, bends down, and pulls something out of it. Adam can't see what's in her hand. She puts a picture on the shelf. It's of Adam, Viv, and his dad in a park when Adam was just eight years old. Viv gives Adam a smile, then walks out, shutting the door behind her. Adam gets up from his bed and walks over to the picture. He pulls it off the shelf and examines it for a moment. He turns towards Dad's box and tosses the picture back inside. Exterior, Adam's house, day. Adam walks toward his open garage with an armful of sweaty boxes. Voices coming from the garage cause him to slow his pace. These voices are Viv and Karen, 48, Viv's older sister. Karen's yoga pants, sneakers, track jacket, and runner's hat go perfectly together, like everything else in Karen's life. Adam stops to eavesdrop. You need money, then? God, no. You letting us stay here is enough. You know you two staying here isn't an issue. If you need some help, just let me know. Thanks. But we're going to be good. We built just a rough patch. How's he doing? Not thrilled. You know, another move. I don't know. I figured if I brought him back to a place I loved, maybe he'd kind of like it, too. He's 12. He's not going to like anything you do. (laughs) Viv laughs. Adam's focus shifts from the conversation back onto his struggle with the boxes, but it's too late. The boxes fall all over the yard. Viv and Karen come out of the garage. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Hey, Aunt Karen. 
Hey, hon. Caring too much? He does the same with his laundry. You can make multiple trips. Oh, by the way, I've got a ton of your guys' stuff down in the basement if you want to go through it. Never threw it out. Now I'm glad I didn't. Thanks. We'll have to rum it, rummage through it eventually. Adam starts to pick up the boxes, and Viv bends down to help. What are you doing today? Adam shrugs. You should go hang out with your cousin Colin. He's out of friends. I don't think I'd really... Adam? What? You need to get out, make friends, be a person. You're not sitting inside all summer. Mom, I really... Viv just... shoots him a look that is not to be challenged. I'd love to. Uh, where's Colin? I'll text you the address and a shortcut. Great! Adam, help us put this away before you go. Viv shoots Adam a smile, and he returns with a look of dread. Exterior suburban street day. Adam rides his bike past Lancaster High School. A worker puts the last letters on the school sign, which reads, Have a safe and fun summer. School begins in August. Exterior Lancaster Main Street day. Riding down Main Street, Adam, for the first time, gets a real glimpse of Lancaster, a blue-collar town with all of its small, family-owned businesses still in operation, even though their weathered storefronts would suggest otherwise. Adam passes a Lancaster automotive. Adam passes by Lancaster Automovi- Automotive and holds his gaze on LFS twelve, dressed in grime-caked overalls, sweeping the shop floor. She glances up and Adam and watches Adam ride past. Exterior suburban home driveway day. Adam gets off his bike in the driveway. Other bikes are scattered in the yard, but nobody's outside. Interior exterior neighbor's house. Moments later. Adam stands on the front porch of the house, contemplating knocking or turning around. Sounds of arguing boys can be heard through the door. Adam knocks, and almost immediately the door flies open. Surprised, Adam looks up at Dustin, 14, a chubby kid and the alpha of his group. Can I help you? Uh, yeah. Hi. Is, um, Colin here? Colin! Some kid is here to see you. Colin, 14, good-looking kid, used to getting what he wants with just a smile, appears in the doorway. Adam, what's up, buddy? Come on. Dude, gross, man. Don't do that to my controller. Dustin runs into the room. (laughs) Come on in. Adam walks into the house. Interior, Dustin's house. Living room continuous. Colin shows Adam into the living room where a group of freshmen, Russ, Ian, and Zach, all 14 years old, are either playing a video game or are distracted by their phones. Guys, this is my cousin Adam. He just moved here from Cincinnati. Uh, Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland, whatever. This is Russ, Ian, Zach, and you already met Dustin. Hey, guys. Russ gives a nod, but Ian and Zach are too focused on the game to acknowledge him. Adam finds a seat on the floor, and Colin sits next to him. Have you played this before? Uh, yeah, once or twice. Or maybe, maybe just once. Doritos. Who's got the Doritos? <laughs> uh, not really great with video games. Oh, you'll be fine. Ian, you're sitting on them! Ian tosses a bag of Doritos to Dustin. Who's got next? Uh, Adam can go. No, 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 I'll just watch. You're on my team. Oh, sorry. Dustin tosses Adam a controller and he stumbles to catch it. You're on my team. Adam hesitantly takes the controller and sits in front of the TV. Dustin sits next to him. I've never lost. Don't suck. (laughs) Off Adam's look. Cut to exterior Dustin's house day. The door swings open. Adam hurries out with fear in his eyes. And Dustin appears in the doorway, fuming. I'm sorry. I thought, why was a spin move? Spin move? You thought it was a spin move? Yeah. (laughs) Colin hurries out of the house, stepping between Dustin and a trembling Adam. Wait, wait, wait. You can't hit him. My mom will kill me. Don't bring him over here anymore. Believe me, not a problem. Dustin storms back inside. And Colin turns to Adam. See you at home. Colin walks into the house, leaving Adam alone in the yard. Exterior, Dustin's house, driveway moments later. Adam grabs his bike. Next door, a kid is jumping and rolling around in the yard by himself. This is Garrett. 
12, short, and hasn't lost his baby fat. Wearing an old army jacket and an authentic combat helmet, Garrett runs and dives all over the yard. Get down, incoming! Garrett whistles like a rocket, then makes an explosion sound. (laughs) Garrett trembles, and when he jumps back onto his feet, he looks right at Adam. Adam hesitates a moment, then waves. Garrett returns the gesture with a firm salute before jumping back into his private game of war. Adam gets on his bike and rides off. Exterior, woods, trail, day. Adam walks his bike down a rough trail that's off the beaten path, not totally confident in where he's going. He stops, spotting a fallen tree in his path. He looks for a way around, but the brush is too high for him to go through. Shortcut my ass. Adam lays down his bike and moves off the path. The ground slopes down at a sharp angle, so he steps carefully. Then, his foot snags a branch, sending Adam tumbling to the ground below. Exterior, Wood's shack, moments later. Adam pulls himself to his feet. In front of him is an overgrown tree, its branches stretching to the ground. Sticking through the, bra- sticking through the branches, however, is a black flag, faded, tattered, and worn, with two red letters, L-R, faintly spray-painted on. Adam walks toward the flag, pushing through the branches to find the worn-down shack. He presses his hand up against the door. It doesn't budge. Lowering his shoulder, he tries again. Push, push, pop. The door flies open, sending Adam forward and falling inside. Interior shack continuous. Cringing, Adam lifts himself from the dirt floor. He brushes himself off and looks around. Torn posters hang from the walls. Everything is covered in dirt and grime, showing decades of neglect. In the center of the room on the table sits a decrepit boombox. Adam approaches the boombox and sees that its tape deck is stuck open. Inside is a cassette tape with the words Lost Radio, 89, written in black marker. He closes the tape deck, then presses play. Nothing. He lifts up the boombox and takes it with him as he leaves. Interior, Adam's bedroom, night. Adam flips on the light as he walks into the room, and he sets the radio on his desk, takes a seat, and examines it. Moments later, Adam snaps the last battery the last battery in the back and closes the back flap shut. Without hesitation, Adam presses play. The sound of two kids, around Adam's age, breaks through the static. Cut to interior, shack, lost radio headquarters, day, 1989. Sunlight beams through the dirt-dusted windows into the shack, revealing it to be the same one Adam found in the woods. However, now everything is brand new. Two kids sit around microphones connected to a nearly new boombox, the same one Adam has found. The kids are Ben, 12, scrawny, but his exuberance makes up for it. Next to him sits Robbie, 12, shaggy hair, wearing a weird Al Yankovic concert t-shirt and a mischievous smile. They speak with unrivaled excitement in their voice. We were almost there. I just had to dig a little further. But we didn't have much time. Any longer, we would have been caught. As they illustrate the incident, we immediately go to the scene itself and see what they are describing. Cut to exterior woods night, 1989. Headlights grow larger as they near Ben and Robbie. Robbie is facing the incoming headlights, his eyes growing with panic. He turns to Ben, who is in a dugout trench the size of a foxhole, kneeling over a wooden door in the ground and pounding at a metal latch with a rock. We need to go! Come on! Ben ignores him and continues trying to break open the latch. Dude, seriously, let's go! Ben continues, his determined eyes fixated on the metal latch as he pounds relentlessly. Bang, bang, bang! Cut to interior, Adam's bedroom, night. Present. Adam's finger moves from the stop button to the rewind button. He presses it and listens to the tape's squeal as it reverses. The tape finally clicks when it's reached the beginning. Adam presses play once again. 
Interior, shack, lost radio headquarters, day, 1989. The tape in the boombox rotates slowly. Recording. Ben leans forward with long, contained excitement. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Lost Radio, a recorded show of our extremely dangerous adventures in the extremely boring town of Lancaster. You're listening to DJ Ben with me today, and every day is the one and only Robbie Munsonburner Munson. Well, hello. We've got a great (laughs) show, maybe the best show for you today. Definitely the best show. The first of many great shows because we've hit the mother load. No, no, no. The gold mine of stories which started when our once beloved Mayor Vest was arrested last week. Flashback to Interior Classroom Day, 1989. A teacher, 40s, stands at the front of the class writing out linear equations on the chalkboard. Ben and Robbie sit next to each other near the back. Ben's eyes are fixated on the Lancaster Gazette on his desk. The headline reads, Mayor Vest arrested for pocketing taxpayer money. Ben leans to Robbie. You think it's true? What? This. The paper says, Some speculate that Mayor Vest was using the people's money to initiate a search for Kalatakis gold, of local legend thought to be hidden deep within Lancaster Mountain. Yeah, some speculate. It's just gossip, dude. My dad's the one who arrested Vest. Trust me, that's not what he was doing. Yeah, but... It, Benjamin, but you... you can pay attention or sit in detention. <laughs> Which is it? Pay attention. The teacher slowly turns back to the board and continues to drone through the lesson. Ben retreats to his desk. He looks at the paper, then glances up to Jenna Martin, 12, seated at attention in the front because she believes leaders are front seaters. (laughs) Jenna catches Ben staring at her, and she gives him a disdainful glare in return. Ben quickly looks away busted. Exterior Woods Day, 1989. Ben and Robbie walk through the woods after school. I know you think it's gossip, but even the paper says it's crazy and not the real reason, but I did some research. Dude. Listen, all right, it's true. Like 150 years ago, there was this Indian chief, Kalataka, right? And his settlers started coming in, and they started pushing out the Indians. Kalataka fought back. He would raid the settlements and take their gold, then he'd disappear without a trace. They come upon the shack in the middle of the woods, and they stop. Exterior, Lost Radio Headquarters, Day, 1989. Above the shack flies a black flag with the letters LR spray-painted with fresh red paint. Wait, just take a second. Ben stares at it with the same glowing admiration as Robbie. Yeah, she's a beaut. A bird dropping splatters on the roof. Interior, Lost Radio Headquarters, continuous. Push, push, pop. The door flies open, and Ben and Robbie enter. Ben pulls out a Native American history book from his bag and flips to an earmarked page. He shows Robbie the pictures. Apparently, Kelataka and his followers had a secret tunnel system in the mountain and a secret code that was hidden in plain sight. They fought for almost two years before Kelataka was killed. But the thing is, even though he was killed, they never found his gold, and they believe it's still hidden somewhere inside the mountain. Ben, why would Mayor Vest want to risk going up there? Think about it. I did. I did think about that. Stay with me here. (laughs) Doc Vest, Mayor Vest's dad, is the only person who ever claimed to have seen the gold. Doc Vest, wasn't he the bootlegger who lived in Rogue's Hollow before it was a ghost town? Exactly. But everyone thought Doc Vest was crazy. Then some guys, you know, like gangsters, wanted him to show them where the gold was. Doc refused, so they killed him, and the known location of the gold died with him. Robbie takes all of this in. Bends on pins and needles. So Mayor Vest wanted to finish what his dad started. Clear his name. Yes. So this really could all be true. Yes. Gold in Lancaster. Yes! And I read that if someone... Motioning to himself and Robbie... ...were to start looking for this gold, the first clue is hidden in the (laughs) Lancaster lullaby, which I I guess is some statue at... City Hall. 
Yes! And, and Robbie, Robbie, if we find this gold, we'll be bigger than Indiana Jones. B- bigger than Axl Rose. We'll be like Indiana Jones and Axl Rose combined. We've got to find this gold. A grin grows on Ben's face. <laughs> Exterior, Town Hall Day, 1989. Ben and Robbie ascend the stairs leading to Lancaster Town Hall. At the top of the stairs, front and center, stands a statue of a frontiersman holding his musket with his eyes bravely focused on the horizon. The boys reach the statue and begin to read the poem engraved on its base. Robbie jots it down in his notebook as Ben reads. Oh, how sweet these mountains of home. Through luscious fields a boy I roamed. With running streams that gave me birth, rooting me into Mother Earth. Now great clouds swell with dangerous nigh. We raise the arrows, hold them high. Through white waters, thrust me astray. My true home, never look away. Any idea what it means? Not a clue. (laughs) Robbie takes a closer look at the words. Dangers nigh, raise the arrows, hold them high. Huh, strange. What what is? Why say raise the arrows, but have this dude holding a musket? Especially when it wasn't meant for him. You'd think it would have been on a statue of Kalateka, and not him. Just then, the town hall doors burst open and the boys look up. Three police officers, followed by a small group of newspaper reporters, rush out of town hall, making their way toward the stairs. In the the middle of the raucous crowd walks a handcuffed man being escorted by the police officers. Robbie, there he is, Mayor Vess. James Vess, 52, hangs his head, attempting to dodge the flashbulbs. His usual meticulously manufactured image is ruffled and his sheepish gait reeks of disgrace. As the crowd passes, Vess's gaze strays toward Ben and Robbie's direction. Vess eyes the boys with suspicion. Ben and Vess make eye contact and hold it for a moment. Vess's stone face curls into a smile. A camera flash causes Vess to squint away and he's escorted into a police cruiser at the bottom of the stairs. Ben watches the police cruiser drive away. Bobby hits Ben on the shoulder. They go back to reading the poem. Close on the poem, as it fades in age from sharply chiseled words to a weathered, nearly ineligible, nearly illegible imprint in stone. Cut to exterior town hall day, present day. Adam stands in front of the frontiersman statue exactly where Ben and Robbie stood, staring at the poem. He finishes typing the words of the poem into his phone. He kneels down and runs his fingers over the words, raise the arrows, hold them high, trying to decipher their meaning. Exterior suburban street day. Adam rides his bike home when Garrett, holding a paintball gun, rounds a corner and dashes toward Adam. Help! Help me! Adam gets off his bike and Garrett stops, catching his breath. Whoa, what's wrong? What's going on? Then Dustin, Russ, and Ian sprint hard and fast towards Garrett and Adam. Garrett takes off. Run! Adam sees Dustin and quickly follows Garrett, forgetting his bike. Garrett and Adam sprint around the corner of Garrett's house. Adam looks back to see the gang gaining quickly. Garrett and Adam jump the fence into Garrett's yard. Lou! Lou! Who's Lou? Angle on a doghouse with Lou written above the door. An English mastiff, Lou, races out of the doghouse. Garrett pulls a garage door remote from his pocket and clicks it, and the garage door begins to shut. Dustin makes it to the fence, but Lou jumps at its face, barking and snarling. Dustin backs away. Garrett slides underneath the garage door like he's headed into home plate. Adam drops and rolls to safety right before the garage door closes shut. Interior, Garrett's house, garage, continuous. Adam rises in pain and looks to Garrett, who stands, trying to catch his breath. What the hell was that? Garrett extends his hand. I'm Garrett. (laughs) Perplexed, Adam shakes Garrett's hand. Adam, now what the hell was that? Uh, You know, bully stuff. Why were they chasing you? Well, on the last day of school, they put all my stuff in the girls' bathroom. So to get back, I hacked into their computers and shared their search histories with their moms. Damn. How'd you learn to do that? Reddit. 
<laughs> and sometimes you've got to look at things a different way. Garrett disassembles his paintball gun. So what's with all that garb? My jacket? Y- yeah, and the helmet and boots. They were my grandpa's. He was a soldier in Nam. You know, Vietnam. I'm aware. He didn't talk about it. I think it was all because of shell shock and all that, but I told him I wanted to be a soldier. So he, so after he died, he left me all of his army stuff. <laughs> I've got about six years until I can join, but never too early to practice. Garrett returns to cleaning his paintball gun. I guess you're right. So where do you live? You're new here, right? Yeah, just moved with my mom. We live off uh, T- Thomas Street. Thomas Street is 2.3, no, 2.4 miles from here. Probably. <laughs> Garrett rests his paintball gun on the shelf. It is. Either way, it doesn't look like I'll be making it home for a while. Adam stares out the window toward the street. From Adam's point of view, suburban street, as Dustin, Russ, and Ian slam Adam's bike against the ground. Garrett walks over and looks out the window. Don't worry. You can take my mom's bike. Garrett wheels out a light purple bike. I, I couldn't do that. I'll just have my mom come pick me up. No need. She never uses it. And you need a new one, so here. <laughs> Adam examines the bike. Thanks. If you take off behind the backyards, you'll come out on Lori Lane. Take that, then make a right onto Holly Avenue, and that dead ends into Com- Thomas Street. Regarding the bullies... That way you can avoid those guys. Do you really know your way around here? Have you, have you lived here long? My whole life. Born and raised. Maybe you could help me with something. Adam pulls out his phone and opens up the poem. Have you ever heard of the Lancaster lullaby? Yeah, of course. Why? Adam smiles. Exterior Woods Night, 1989. Led by two flashlight beams, Ben and Robbie make their way through the trees in the brush. Ben walks slightly ahead of Robbie. This is a waste of time. There's nothing out here. You don't know that? Raise the arrows, hold them high. That's the key. No, <laughs> white waters thrust me astray. It's near the river. Listen, if I'm wrong, then we try your thing. But we've already out here, so we might as well see. Well, I've never seen a statue in the woods. That's because you never go into the woods. My dad used to take me hunting out here, and there was an Indian statue with a bow and arrow covered in vines. Why would it be in the middle of nowhere? Ben looks up, stops, then takes off. Well, where are you going? Robbie follows Ben. Once he catches up to him, Robbie finds Ben standing at the base of a Native American statue carved from wood and wrapped in vines. The statue is of a Native warrior, all muscle, with his bow and arrow stretched and aimed directly at the sky. The statue's head, however, is faced away from the direction of the arrow, with its eyes fixated on the ground. See, I told you it was out here. Ben walks around the statue, examining every inch. Robbie follows. Look, look, look. Raise the arrows, hold them high. He's pointing upward. Ben has his flashlight on the statue's face, which is turned away from the arrow. What's he looking at? Maybe that's how they used to shoot bow and arrows. No. No, he's looking at something. When danger's nigh, we, we raise the arrows, hold them high. Through white waters thrust me astray, my true home. Never look away. He's looking at what he's protecting. The ground? What's underneath it? Ben hops onto the statue and puts his face in front of it, then holds up his hand straight, pointing at the exact spot the statue's eyes are looking. He jumps off and walks the statue's line of sight until he points his finger into the dirt. Ben looks up at Robbie. Here. Right here. Uh, Get me something I can dig with. Robbie turns and grabs a thick branch and hands it to Ben. Ben starts to dig away at the spot. Robbie grabs a rock and helps Ben dig. They continue to scrape up the dirt, and Robbie stops for a moment and looks up. He squints and steps forward away from the hole. We see what he's looking at. A pair of headlights, small but approaching from the distance. Ben. Ben, we need to go. Someone's coming. Ben! Robbie runs over and tries to stop Ben from digging, but Ben shoves him off and continues. I'm almost there. Ben comes down hard into the ground, but it's stopped with a thud. He stops, realizing, and he jabs at the ground again. 
thud. His eyes light up as he tosses the stick aside, then brushes away the dirt until we see it. A wooden door. The headlights larger as they near. Robbie becomes more impatient. Ben, we need to go. Come on. Ben ignores him and tries to break open the latch with the rock. Bang, bang, bang. Each hit with the rock does some damage. Ben! Ben looks up and sees that the headlights are dangerously close. His eyes grow with an oh shit level of concern. Hurrying, Ben pushes the dirt back onto the door and Robbie rushes over to help. As they put the last pile of dirt and leaves on top, they're suddenly illuminated by the headlights glow. The truck stops and they stand at attention. Ed Derby, 56, a heavyset man with a lot of scruff, gets out of the truck. What the hell are you boys doing here? This is private property. Sorry, sir. We were just hiking earlier and got lost. Robert Munson? Uh, yes, sir. Jesus Christ, boy. Your dad know you're out here? M- Mr. Derby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, sorry, sir. I-, I had no idea. We'll head home right now. Just get in the truck. I'll take you home. The boys head toward the truck, and Ed stands as they pass with a look of disappointment. Thank you, sir. They all load into the truck. Before Ben hops in, he stares for a moment at the statue. Exterior, lost radio headquarters, day, present. The tattered lost flag, ra- the tattered lost radio flag waves in the wind as Adam and Garrett ride up to the shack. Garrett is awestruck. Whoa, what is this place? This is what I pro- you promised not to tell anyone about. Off Garrett's amazed look. Oh, come on, it's cooler inside. Adam heads toward the door, and Garrett runs behind. Interior, lost radio headquarters, day, 1989. Ben and Robbie sit at the large wooden table around their microphones in the boombox recording their, quote, broadcast. The great thing is there's something underneath that warrior statue, but... Well, we have to go whenever we know that Mr. Derby won't be driving around his property. So stay tuned for the next episode of Lost Radio and see what happens. Ben puts his finger on the stop button. Cut to Interior Lost Radio Headquarters Day. Close on the boombox. Adam presses the stop button. Adam sits at the boombox while Garrett walks around, taking all of this in. This is awesome. It's like a real adventure. I always wondered what my first mission would arrive. Never thought I'd be so young. How much do you think the gold is worth? Enough for me and my mom to move us out here and back to society. Garrett goes quiet. Anyway, like they said, the poem leads to a statue, but now the farm the statue was on the park? Yeah, Derby Park. And the only people who would know where the statue was would have been these kids, or or the Derby guy who owned it. But he moved after they filled the land. Leaving us with basically nobody to help. That might not be true. There might be somebody. Who? A long time ago, there was a guy named James Vest who went looking for the gold. People say he's crazy, terrifying, and old, but he lives (laughs) 5.2 miles from me. We just ask. You know where he lives? Everyone knows where he lives. His house gets teepeed a lot. Off Adam's look, considering... Exterior, Vess's house, day. Adam and Garrett stand on the porch of a house in which only Norman Bates would feel at home. The boys hesitantly ring the doorbell. Silence. Garrett looks at Adam after a moment. Ring it again. Uh, No, we rang once. We shouldn't bother him. (laughs) He's old. Let's go. Adam turns to leave, but Garrett presses the doorbell again. The bell echoes through the house and Adam whips around. Garrett! Garrett smiles and shrugs, and just then the door swings open, revealing Ella Vess, the girl from the automotive shop wearing jeans and a tank top with her hair tied into a ponytail. Around her bare ankle is a house arrest monitor. She looks the boys over. Yeah. Uh, hi. Uh, yeah. Is your. Is Mr. Vess here? Which one? Uh, the hair, older, maybe older maybe one. No hair. Old man. He's old. <laughs> <laughs> Ella stares at the boys conspicuously, uh, suspiciously. Then, Grandpa, there's some kids here to see you. Kids? What kids? Strange kids. 
Loud, slow footsteps approach. While they wait, Adam notices the house arrest monitor on Ella's ankle. She slides her foot behind her other leg when she catches him staring. Adam immediately averts his gaze. James Vess, 86, frail, with more hair coming from underneath his t-shirt than on his head, appears. What? Uh, Hi, Mr. Vess. My name's Adam, and uh, this is Garrett. And we were wondering if you could, if we we could ask you some questions about your, um, uh, a Native American statue you may have found. Why do you want to know that? For a school project? It's summer. Uh, for a summer school project? <laughs> You're in summer school? Yep, summer school. <laughs> Vess considers this for a moment. No, I don't, I, I can't help you with that. I don't have the time right now. Sir, we, we wouldn't want to take much of your time. We only want I said no, I don't have the time. Come on, Ella, get inside. Wait, Mr. Vess, please, we found... Vess slams the door. Exterior, Vess's house, yard, day, present. Adam and Garrett get their bikes at the end of the driveway. I knew this wouldn't work. Grandpa used to say the answer is always no unless you ask. And it was still no. (laughs) This is pointless. No one's going to help us. Behind them, Ella comes running out of the house holding a long rolled up paper in her hand. Wait, hold up. The boys get off their bikes and she makes it over to them. Sorry for him. He doesn't like talking about that stuff. And he's grumpy when he doesn't take his pills, so... Oh, it, it's cool. I know about the statue, and I know why you're asking about it. You're looking for the gold? Gold? No, it's for a project for summer school. <laughs> Ella shoots them a look. She ain't buying it. Yeah, we're looking for the gold. I knew it! Wow, you're a good gather. What does the statue have to do with it, though? Uh, the statue was a marker, and, and underneath it was a tunnel or an underground something. Hell Yeah. Yeah, but the statue's gone, so now we have no idea where to look. I think I can help. She looks around. Come over here. Ella guides Adam and Garrett behind a shed, out of view of the house. She unravels the rolled paper in her hand, revealing it to be a map with Derby Park circled. My grandpa told me stories of going after the gold, and he used to talk about a warrior statue. He said it's the one clue that he missed. They look it over. I don't know if this will help, but if you wait a couple of days, I'd... Don't have this... Regarding her house arrest monitor. And I can come with you. Adam considers, looks to Garrett, who gives a, why not, shrug. Why are you doing this? Everyone in town thinks my grandpa's crazy, and I don't. Ella! Ella, where are you at? Coming! To Adam and Garrett. Tuesday night, 9.30, meet me at Derby Park. Adam nods, and she runs back toward the house. Thought it was a good idea to knock. (laughs) They get on their bikes and ride away. In exterior Aunt Karen's house, day present. Adam turns his bike up the driveway, where he spots Dustin and Colin standing on their porch of his Aunt Karen's house. They glare at Adam as he passes. Adam Adam immediately puts his head down and continues toward his house. Exterior, Adam's house, continuous. Keeping his head low, Adam hurries toward his garage, hoping to get inside before... Adam! Too late. Adam stops, cringes, as Dustin approaches. (laughs) Hold up! Adam turns to find Dustin looming over him. Yeah? So you're hanging out with Garrett Rohr. That hacker shit he pulled? You can tell him he's not going to get away with it. About his bike? Sick bike. (laughs) (laughs) A smile grows on Dustin's chubby face as he walks away. (laughs) 
Adam contemptuously watches Dustin leave. Interior, Adam's house, day, present. Adam walks into the living room, and framed family posters lie on the ground next to a box of nails and a hammer. The tools make a trail to an open box marked Home Movies. Adam follows a light and the sound of laughter coming from Viv's room. He approaches her door. Interior, Viv's room, Adam's house, continuous. With tears streaming over her smile, Viv sits on her bed, staring at her TV. On the screen, Viv and Adam's dad, 32, roll around on the floor with four-year-old Adam still laughing. Adam stands at the doorway, absorbed as the memories flicker. Viv turns and sees Adam. Hey, come sit. Adam takes a seat next to Viv. They both refocus their attention to see home videos on screen. A moment passes. I really can't believe it sometimes. What? How much you remind me of him. Bursting with life, fearless. Not to mention a total heartbreaker. Mom, weird. (laughs) Viv laughs, and Adam cracks a smile. He, he just had this energy that swept you up. Nothing was impossible. Nothing was out of reach. During my worst days, I'd look at him. Just a look. I'd know it's okay. We're okay. I was so scared when it happened. Frozen. Sick. In one moment, we went from three to two. I had no idea when it would get better. But day after day, I woke up, pulled myself out of bed, went downstairs, and there he were. There he was. And you. And every time I see you, I see him, and I know it's okay. We're okay. Adam wipes the tears from his cheek, and Viv puts her arm around him, pulling him in. Exterior, Derby Fields, night. Establishing, present. The park lights illuminating the baseball courts, baseball field, and walking path shut off. And the park is now covered in total darkness. Exterior, Derby Fields, baseball diamond, night, present. Led by their flashlights, Adam, Ella, and Garrett walk toward a baseball diamond. Ella has a pair of headphones lodged in her ears. You put the whole tape on your phone? Yep. Digitize the whole thing that we have it on the go. (laughs) Ella takes off the headphones and hands the phone back to Garrett. That's so dope. You found it in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? Definitely. It's weird to hear them talk about my grandpa, though. They arrive on the edge of a baseball diamond with shovels in hand, and they walk around examining the area. Garrett pulls out his phone and opens the GPS app. What are you doing? Based on the map Ella showed us, I put the coordinates of the statue into my phone. We should be able to start digging precisely where they start digging in the tape. Garrett suddenly stops walking, and Adam and Ella keep walking. Here! The statue is right here. Garrett lifts his shovel. Wait, wait, wait. That's where the statue was? On the thing I listened to, they started digging where the eyes were looking, so... Ella walks over to Garrett and looks at the phone and points to a spot between second base and the pitcher's mound. There. Adam moves to the spot, and he lifts his shovel. Cut to... Exterior Woods, Warrior Statue, Night, 1989. A shovel's blade pierces the dirt. Robbie and Ben dig knee-deep in a hole. Ben lifts the shovel, then slams it into the ground. Ding! He hesitates, then thrusts the shovel back in, and ding! Ben looks up at Robbie. Cut to Exterior Derby Fields Baseball Diamond, Night. Adam stands chest-deep in the hole next to second base, staring at Gara and Ella, who stand next to a large pile of dirt. I think we got it. Got it? Got it, as in... Got as in the door. Listen. They go quiet. Adam plants his shovel into the ground and... Ding! Adam's eyes grow as wide as the smile on his face. <clears throat> Garrett and Ella jump into the hole and brush away the dirt to reveal a wooden door in the ground. They continue brushing and find that the metal latch at the center of the door, and they all look up at one another together. Adam tries to pull on the latch, but it doesn't budge. Garrett starts to pull, then Ella. They put everything they've got into it until... 
Cut to exterior woods, warrior statue, night, 1989. The wooden door bursts open, sending Ben and Robbie on their backs into the dirt. They quickly get up and hurry to the hole. Ben and Robbie shine their flashlights inside, and they can see the bottom, but no ladder or stairs. How far down do you think it is? 15, 20 feet, maybe? That's a far drop. It's not that bad. You jump from higher up. (laughs) Are you saying I'm jumping in first? Oh, I'm just saying you've got the jumping experience. Uh I think fate should decide. Fine. Robbie holds his hand out for rock, paper, scissors. Rock, Rock, paper, paper, scissors. scissors. Cut to interior cavern night, present day. Crash. Adam falls onto the cavern's dirt floor, then rises, shining his flashlight around the the confined space. Engelon, Garrett, and Ella still outside, peering down. You okay, Thulder? Yeah. You didn't hold onto the rope. Just drop your stuff down. Adam moves out of the way as Garrett throws in his flashlight and bag. Garrett slides safely down next to Adam, and Ella Ella slides, then jumps off. They start scanning the area with sheer wonder. Their lights reveal elaborate carvings on on the wall. Look at this place. This is so badass. Adam walks throughout the cavern, and he gazes at the carvings. Adam picks up a clay cup. On it are various symbols. What exactly are we looking for? Something similar to what they found on the tape. What did they find on the tape? Cut to Interior Cavern, Night 1989. Ben runs his hands along the wall, marveling at the design. There is an item they used to trade, like a map hidden in plain sight. So we're looking for a map? Not exactly. Whatever it was, it had to be something anyone would have. A, a tool or a weapon, maybe. Ben stops at a point in the wall. Ben stops at a spot in the wall, presses, then backs away and examines it. He pushes against it again, and on the other side of the room... Robbie meanders. If we find something like that, couldn't we sell it and make a ton of money anyway? Ben doesn't respond. I'm joking, dude. You need to relax. Robbie turns around, and Ben is nowhere to be found. He shines his flashlight around the area. Nothing. Robbie panics. Ben? Ben! Robbie takes a step forward. Cut to interior cavern, night, present day. Garrett's foot steps on a raised stone as it descends into the ground. A creaking sound reverberates and grows. Walking behind Garrett, Adam feels a breeze and examines a collection of holes in the wall. Garrett notices the creaking is leading towards Adam's location. Adam reaches his hand out, feeling the air. Adam, don't touch! Adam puts his hand on the wall, then, then the sound grows into a terrifying roar. Adam freezes. Ella sprints ahead and tackles Adam to the ground, and spikes shoot out of the wall, barely missing Adam and Ella. Adam lays on the ground with Ella on top of him. You okay? Adam nods, shocked. What do you say? Thank you. (laughs) Ella gets off, and Garrett walks over. They help Adam to his feet. Cut to Interior Cavern, Night, 1989. Robbie wanders, still in a panic. Robbie! Robbie whips around. I don't see you. Come towards the wall. Slowly, Robbie approaches the wall. When he reaches it, he sees that a portion of the wall is ajar. Robbie leans in slowly and fearfully, and fearfully peeks his head around. Then, Ben's head thrusts out from the wall. Robbie! Robbie lets out a shriek. He recoils when he realizes it's just Ben, and Ben laughs. <laughs> Dick, check this out. Ben disappears into a hidden room, and Robbie follows. Inside the hidden room, Ben holds an item in his hands, a brown leather sheath with carvings all over. Ben slides the knife from the sheath, revealing a bronzed handle with carvings that wind down the silver blade that is split on the end like a serpent's tongue. Jesus. It's our map. Can you read it? No. But I think I know who could help us. Oh, please don't say Jenna Jenna Martin. Martin. (laughs) What? She's like the smartest person in our school. <laughs> and you have a crush on her, and she can't stand you. But when we show her this, she might be into it. <laughs> she won't go for it. But she might. But she won't. They continue to argue as they exit the cavern. 
We stay in the room. Interior cavern, hidden room night. Present. Still in the hidden room, but it looks completely empty. Anything? Adam rises into frame. Nothing. Adam walks back into the main cavern where he is met by Ella and Garrett. We should move out. I don't get it. I, I didn't expect to find what they found, but I thought we'd find something. What exactly did they find here? It was a knife. It was split on the end like a snake's tongue, and it had these... Carvings on the handle? Yeah. How did you know that? I've seen it. The school has a Native American history display. In a library. Is, That's right. Is there any way to get to it? Not during the summer. Not unless we broke in. No. Don't raise your eyebrows like you're thinking about it. I just got off house arrest. I can't break into the school. You don't have to come. It, look, as long as Garrett's in, I just need someone who knows their way around. Dangerous mission. Behind enemy lines. Threat level. High. Low probability of success, but maximum glory. You can count me in, sir. <laughs> what is he even saying? You heard him. He's in. Uh, you two are going to blow it if you go in alone. Fine. But we follow my plan, got it? Absolutely. Let's get out of here before we get caught. They make their way out of the cavern toward the rope. <clears throat> Interior School Library Day, 1989. Jenna Martin walks through a row of books. Ben is right at her side while Robbie begrudgingly follows. Gold? I thought Mayor Vest was hiding drugs. No, why does everyone think that? He was looking for Kalatakis gold. And I, we, think it's real. Come on, everyone knows that's a legend. Ben pulls the knife from his pocket and holds it up to Jenna's face. Jenna jolts backwards with shock and fear. Jesus, dude. <laughs> oh, sorry, I could have done that slower. But <laughs> look! Jenna leans in, places her hands on the knife, and marvels at the elaborate design. Jenna's never been this close to Ben before, and he lets himself get lost in the moment. Where did you find this? I, I, I can't tell you that. He takes the knife out of her hand. And I can't tell you anything else unless you agree to help us. Help you with what? We think the symbols on this knife might be a map that lead to the gold. We don't know what they mean, but maybe someone like you could figure it out. Jenna takes a long moment to consider. So, can you help us? Maybe. Under one condition. If I do help you figure this map out and find the gold, you have to give me half. What? Shh! What? 33%. Three of us, that's only fair. Half. Or I walk and tell everyone that you brought a knife to school. <sighs> Half is fair. Half? Is he going to be cool with this? Absolutely not. Yeah, he'll come around. Deal. <laughs> ben and Jenna shake hands. Exterior, Lancaster School, day present. The Lancaster band marches around the practice field. The 50 or so band members are led by the conductor, a small man perched atop a ladder, shouting orders into his megaphone. Adam, Ella, and Garrett appear at the tree line overlooking the band practice field. They take cover behind the brush. All right, the band practices until two every day. Every day? It's a summer. That's a little intense for band. <laughs> You've no idea. Lancaster's got one of the best bands in the state. The conductor's a maniac. Makes you run a lap if you miss a step. Jesus. No, no, no! Again! Henry, go! Now! <laughs> the conductor points with a heavy set to as a heavy set tuba player, runs around the field wrapped in his tuba. See? Guys, focus. The band practices until two. They enter and exit from the locker room door over there. Once they get inside, we... Ella, Adam, and Garrett duck. The tuba player huffs past their location and continues on. They rise back up. Uh, once we get inside, we'll have 15 minutes to sneak in and make our way up to the library before the doors lock. 
When the janitor leaves, we'll come out from hiding, grab the knife, and get out. The band members start to make their way inside. Pick up those feet! You are not a shuffling band, you're a marching band! <laughs> the last of the band members make their way inside. Come on! Adam and Garrett follow Ella toward the school. Exterior, Lancaster School Street, same. Dustin and Colin roll their bikes to a stop and watch as Adam, Ella, and Garrett make their way into the school. <laughs> I told you they were up to something. What do you want to do? Let's wait for them to make their move. This might be easier than I thought. Dustin smiles and motions for Colin to move off of the road. Exterior, Lancaster Neighborhood Street, Day, 1989. Ben, Robbie, and Jenna ride their bikes down the quiet streets. The coolest part is you can tell the knife was hand-carved. Seriously amazing craftsmanship. That's very lovely. <laughs> but what does it say about the gold? That's the thing. It doesn't. The knife was actually a map to the center of Kalateka's resistance. Wow. I know, sick, right? But what about the gold? More than likely, the gold is uh, where the center of the resistance was, somewhere in the mountain. Find that, and we probably find the gold. Probably? You mean you don't know? Not yet, but I've only had the knife for a few days, so there's more research I have So you to... know the history, but you don't know how to follow the map. Cool. Really glad you're in the mix. Robbie! Uh. Hey, Ben, don't worry about splitting half of our share, because if we keep listening to this spaz, we'll never find it. Ben goes to defend Jenna, but Jenna breaks hard in front of Robbie, causing him to stop on a dime. I'm a spaz? <laughs> Why don't we tell Ben about your letter that I found after Mr. Gale's science class last year? Huh? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you don't? You mean you don't remember the letter professing your love to Mackenzie Gallardi? The one you signed with an actual kiss? <laughs> Seriously? A kiss? It had lipstick on it and everything. No, shut up. She's lying. That was a nice shade, Robbie. Where can <clears throat> I get it? I don't... It was chapstick... <laughs> You know what? Screw you guys. <laughs> Robbie rides ahead in anger, and Ben continues to laugh. Robbie, come on. It's not a big deal. Yeah, let's kiss and make up. Get bent. Robbie. Police chief, sirens blaring, whiz, whiz past Robbie, and Ben and Jenna catch up. They watch as the whole police force passes. One car goes by and screeches to a halt. Sheriff Munson, 45, gets out of the passenger side and looks toward our gang. Dad? Robbie. What's going on? James Vest jumped bail. You kids get off the street and get home now. You hear me? Wait, what are you... Now! Robbie nods his head in agreement, and Sheriff Munson gets back into the police cruiser and speeds away. The sirens fade away in the distance, and Ben, Robbie, and Jenna stand on the street, exchanging looks, each thinking the same thing. They all run to their bikes and follow the police caravan. Exterior Woods Day, 1989. A caravan of police jeeps are parked in a clearing. Ben hides in the trees, and Robbie and Jenna take cover further back in the woods. The officers, led by Sheriff Munson, get in their vehicles and drive off. Ben heads back toward Jenna and Robbie's location. They're splitting up around the mountain, Harper Falls and Rogue's Hollow. In the distance, Ben sees a figure move between the trees and stop at a rock wall. Without a word, Ben takes off toward the figure. Ben! Jenna and Robbie run after Ben. Ben runs through the trees, and the closer he gets, the more he can make out that the figure is James Vess. Vess turns toward Ben, then vanishes into the woods. Ben moves faster until he reaches the rock wall where Vess was originally standing. He looks around, but Vess is nowhere to be seen. Ben looks at the base of the rock wall and drops to his knees, and Jenna and Robbie catch up to him and stop. What the hell was that? If you're gonna take off, just say, hey guys, I'm taking off. We need a little warning. Look. <laughs> they look down and see a Native American symbol carved into the wall. James Vess was just here, and he was looking at this. What is it? I've seen this. You guys, I've seen this. Jenna hurries and pulls the serpent knife from her bag, and she shows the same symbol along the knife's handle. It's right here, and look, it's next to the symbol for river, which... She points to the flowing river next to their location. This is part of the map. Police officers are heard in the distance. We need to go. Robbie heads down the hill. Great job, Jenna. 
Jenna and Ben share a smile for a moment. Guys, let's go. My dad can't know we're up here. They snap out of it and take off down the mountain. Interior classroom, night, present. Ella and Adam sit on the floor, hidden behind desks. Garrett lays next to them, completely passed out. Adam takes a peek out the window. Anything? Their cars are still there. Dude, they were supposed to be done ten minutes ago. Go home. Ella collapses onto her back. A beat, and then... How did it happen? You're a... Adam taps his ankle. Beat. Yeah, I was wondering when you were going to ask. I guess... You should know if you're hanging out with a dangerous criminal. He lets out a small laugh, and Ella takes a breath. I stole and crashed a girl's car. What? I know, I know. It was bad, but in my defense, she totally deserved it. Allison Hahn, bitch. (laughs) What did she do? Just picked on me relentlessly since we were kids. Then one day, I had enough. But instead of kicking her ass in front of the whole school, which I could do very easily, by the way, I decided... I'd take the new white Honda her daddy bought her for a joyride. The ride didn't last long, though. Would you believe if I told you Hondas sink pretty quickly? (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, the punishment wasn't incredible. I bet your parents were pissed. My dad was for sure, but my grandpa was more disappointed than mad, which is definitely worse. Oh, definitely. My, my My mom would be furious, but she'd definitely pull the... I expected more from you, Adam Hurts, bit. Uh. Ella laughs, and they hear the door below them open. Then the two, then the voices of two men outside. Adam peeks out the window to find two janitors getting into their cars. They're leaving. About time. Adam shoves Garrett. Garrett. Garrett, wake up. Garrett rolls over and cracks open his eyes. He smiles. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> We're good to go. Come on. Adam grabs his backpack and follows Garrett and Ella out of the classroom. Interior school hallway night. Flashlights in hand, Adam, Ella, and Garrett run through the halls. They get to the stairwell and head up. In exterior, Lancaster School, same. Through the window, flashlight beams can be seen moving up the stairwell. Dustin and Colin watch from below. There we go. Told you this would be easy. Dustin pulls out his cell phone and dials 911. 911, what's your emergency? Interior, school library, night present. Adam, Ella, and Garrett make their way through the bookshelves. Come on, the display's in the back. They emerge from one of the aisles and come upon a display case. Inside are Native American artifacts, books on the topic, a model village, and a picture of Kalataka. Adam walks over to Kalataka's picture and looks on with admiration. Garrett joins Adam. Kalataka, Native American outlaw. But he wasn't an outlaw. He was a chief defending his tribe. Guys, come here. They walk over to find Ella examining an artifact. This what we came for? Her flashlight illuminates the serpent knife. Beneath it is a sign that reads, Native Knife Donated by Anonymous. That's the serpent knife. Garrett, undo the latch. I'll slide open the glass. Yes, ma'am. Garrett does as instructed, and Ella slides the glass open. Adam carefully grabs the serpent knife. Once it's in his hands, Adam looks over... Adam looks over the knife with awe. He looks to Ella and Garrett and smiles. That's all we need? Adam nods, still mesmerized by the knife. Great. Let's get out of here. In the distance, a door creaks open and slams shut. They all look at one another wide-eyed. Garrett runs over to the window and looks outside, and two cop cars are parked by the front entrance. It's the cops. What? How'd they know we were here? Son of a bitch. How many? Two cars. Can we get out the way we came in? Not without running into them. Is there any other way? The cafeteria. If we can get downstairs without being seen, it's our best bet. Follow me. They stay low and move through the library. The cafeteria's got the best grilled cheese on Fridays. Garrett! Obviously, but shush. But yeah, it does. <laughs> they exit the library. Interior school walkway, night. Ella peeks around the corner. All clear. A cop's voice is heard. 
that a flashlight beam moves around the floor below them. Ella points to the stairwell at the other end of the walkway, and she moves toward it. Garrett and Adam follow. Suddenly, a flashlight shoots up the stairwell, followed by footsteps. Adam, Ella, and Garrett stop on a dime. They run away from the stairwell, around the corner, and huddle by a locker bay. Garrett points to an emergency exit door. No, that'll set off the alarm. There's no way we'll get out. That's the only way. There's gotta be something else. We can't stay here. Just then, they're blinded by a police officer's flashlight. Don't move. Move! Adam, Ella, and Garrett sprint hard toward the emergency exit door, and the officer takes off toward them. I've got them up here. They burst through the emergency exit, sounding the alarm. Interior school emergency stairwell continuous. They wind down the stairs as the officer's flashlights shine on them from above. Interior school hallway continuous. Adam, Ella, and Garrett make their way to the first floor only to find a second officer running toward them. They turn the corner away from the pursuing officers. Adam drops the knife. Garrett spots it and swoops it up. They race toward the cafeteria as the officers gain on them. Interior school cafeteria continuous. Adam, Ella, and Garrett spread out as they weave through the tables, making their way toward the exit. Ella pushes the exit door open, and Garrett bolts out the door past Ella. Adam is almost at the door. He looks behind him to see that they've nearly lost the police. He turns around, but is immediately yanked on his back. Adam orients himself and tries to move toward the door, but is pulled back to the ground. His backpack is caught on one of the tables. Ella hurries to help him. Adam tries to pry his backpack free. Leave it. We need to go. Through the tables, Adam can see an officer's flashlight headed toward him. He pulls harder and harder. Adam, leave it. It's almost free, then. Freeze. Adam and Ella look up. The sheriff, 40, is standing over them with his taser drawn. Don't move. Yeah, we know what freeze means. Watch it, Miss Fess. You know better. Now drop the bag and put your hands on above your head. Into his walkie? I got him. Down in the cafeteria. Adam looks to Ella and mouths, sorry. Ella turns away. Exterior, Lancaster School, same. From a distance, Garrett watches Adam and Ella escorted back to the sheriff's vehicle. Garrett clenches the serpent knife, then runs toward his bike. Exterior, police station night, establishing present. Two police SUVs are parked outside of the police station. Interior, police station, holding room, same. Adam and Ella sit side by side. The room is nearly empty, save for the booking officer on the other side of the room. Ella stares at the ground, and Adam glances at her, staring for a moment too long. Can you stop? I'm sorry. You've said that 30 times already. Why don't you say it again? Maybe one more will do it. I'm sorry. Ella shoots him a no-nonsense look. Adam shies away, then... There's nothing I could have done. You could have let go of the bag. I thought I had more time. I told you, let go of the bag. It just happened so fast. Just let go of the bag! Hey! No talking. Wait for the sheriff in silence. A moment of silence, then Adam looks back to Ella. We can still go after the gold. Garrett's got the knife and I've got the tape. Once we're done being grounded, no, we can... No, I'm done. Even if I wanted to, I'm done. Ella, we can still do this. Not with me. After I got off house arrest a week ago, my grandpa told me that if I messed up one more time, just one, that I'd be sweeping the auto shop for the next year at least. Adam searches for the right thing to say, but before he can, the sheriff enters. Adam hurts. Adam looks up. The sheriff stands at the door by himself, but is soon joined by Viv. Upon seeing his mom, Adam releases a sigh of dread. He gets up and walks over to her. Viv keeps her eyes locked on Adam. And before exiting, Adam takes one last glance at Ella, who stares at the floor. Wait in the hall. Adam exits. Viv to the sheriff. Sorry about all this, kids. Don't we know it. Just happy you're safe. You do need anything? Call me. Thanks. You know I will. 
Have a good night. The sheriff gives a nod and a smile, and Viv exits. Interior, Adam's house, night. Adam storms into the house, followed by Viv. When should I expect an explanation? There isn't one. You broke into the school that you're not even attending yet. I think you have a pretty good story to go along with that. I don't know. I was entertaining myself. Entertaining yourself? By getting arrested? You're the one who said I needed to get out this summer. <laughs> yeah, get out and make friends, not get yourself expelled before the first day of school. Oh, what a shame that would be. Viv takes a breath, lets that one pass. I'll ask again. What happened? I'm going to bed. Adam passes her and heads toward his room. Adam! She steps in front of him, cutting him off. Answer me. What happened? You moved us to this shitty town. That's what happened. Language? No. Every year we're in a new place, and just before it remotely feels like home, you tell me, I need to pack again. You act like you care. You act like it's a decision we both have to make, but I have to go. I don't have a choice, and I haven't had a choice since Dad died. Silence settles between the two of them. Adam knows what he should do, but instead, he pushes past Viv. I... Wait a minute. Adam keeps walking. Adam! <clears throat> Adam walks into his room and slams the door. Viv goes up to his door, but stops and puts her head against it, staying there for a moment. Interior, Adam's bedroom, same. Adam tries to swallow the lump in his throat. He looks over to the boombox and the lost radio tape inside, his escape. He approaches it, and he presses play. Cut to Exterior Woods Trail, day... 1989. Robbie and Jenna walk along either side of Ben, who holds the knife as they make their way through the woods. So, if the trail on the knife follows this line... She draws her finger over the line. That means all we have to do is follow the river, right? Maybe, but what about this other line? Ben points to another line with different symbols. Let me take a look. Robbie takes the knife and flips it so that the tip of the blade is pointing at him. Look, the lines start as one, break apart, and then end in different locations. So the gold's in two spots. Jenna snatches the knife from Ben's hand. Wait a minute. He wasn't hiding it in two locations. She rotates the knife so the tip of the blade is away from her. These two lines aren't... Click, click, click. Cut to... Interior, Adam's bedroom, night. Click, click, click. Adam stares at the radio, bewildered, then rewinds and presses play. Cut to Exterior Woods Trail, day 1989. Jenna rotates the knife so the tip of the blade is away from her. These two lines aren't... Click, click, click. Cut to Interior, Adam's bedroom, night. Click, click. Adam's face is pale with the realization that he's reached the end of the tape. He rewinds and presses play again. Click, click, again. Click, 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 and again, and again, and again. Adam takes out the tape and slings it. It lands next to the box marked Dad's stuff. He walks over to the box and throws it across the room, its contents spilling out on the floor. He thrashes at everything until he finally wears himself out. He drops to the floor, catching his breath and wiping tears from his eyes. His breathing slows back to normal. As he starts to pick up the mess, as he starts to pick up the mess, something falls out of the pile. Adam sees that hidden under the mess is another tape. He bends down, he picks it up, and his eyes grow wide when he reads the label. Lost Radio, 2005. Adam examines the tape, not believing what he's seeing. He walks over to the radio, his hands quivering as he inserts the new tape into the deck. He closes the flap, then takes a breath and presses play. The tape begins to roll, and white noise crackles through the speaker. Just then, a voice breaks through. <clears throat> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ben Hertz, or some of you longtime listeners may know me as DJ Ben. It's been a while. Adam's eyes grow wide when he hears his father's name. This whole time, Ben, from the other tape, was his dad. Interior, Ben's home office, night, 2005. 
Older Ben Hertz, 28, sits at his desk recording. Okay, let's see if I still got it. Intercut. Older Ben recording with Adam listening. As though Older Ben is speaking to Adam face to face. Well, a lot's happened since the last radio broadcast. I fly planes now. Well, learning. So only the passengers in the back get to hear my smooth radio voice. <laughs> uh, Jenna finally let me marry her. Only took me three times to ask, but she came around. Adam sits back, stunned, realizing that Jenna, or Genevieve, is his mom. We've moved a few places. Uh, we just bought our first house, but the biggest thing that's happened is we have a new member to the Lost Radio family, a beautiful baby boy, Adam Robert Hertz. Personally, I think he looks like me, but he's, he's got a fight in him like his mother. <laughs> Every time he looks at me, I, I can't believe it. So it doesn't feel real when I say it. I'm a dad. No adventure, no story. No place I travel to compares to holding him in my arms or watching him and Jenna play on our kitchen floor. My whole life I've been searching for something incredible, something magical. When I look at him, I know I've found it. My greatest adventure. Suddenly, a baby's cry is heard in the background. Speaking of, one moment. Older Ben gets up from his desk and turns on a light, revealing a crib in the corner of the room. Adam listens as tears roll down his cheeks. Hello there. What's wrong? Don't cry. Come here. Older Ben picks up baby Adam and cradles him in his arms. He carries him over to the radio, and baby Adam stops crying. You want to say hi? Say hi. Baby Adam lets out small grunts and groans. Okay, I think it's time to put you in your room now. Uh, You can talk more tomorrow, okay? All right. All right, well, let's go and have to conclude this lost radio broadcast. Until next time, this is DJ Ben signing off. He presses stop. Interior, Adam's bedroom, present. Older Ben's voice fades away and static continues. Adam sits alone at his desk, tears streaming, letting the static play. Fade to black. Cut from black. Interior, exterior, Aunt Karen's house, day. Aunt Karen opens the door and Adam stands in the doorway. Hey, sweetie, what's up? Remember when you said you had boxes of old stuff in your basement? Interior, Adam's room, day, present. Adam dumps a a box onto his bed. He sorts through the pile. Nothing. He slides everything back into the box. A second box is dumped onto his bed. He finds a picture of Ben, Robbie, and Jenna. He looks over it for a moment, seeing his dad at 12 for the first time. Adam sets the picture on his desk. He picks up a metal box and opens it. A smile raises on his face when he realizes what's inside. Dozens of tapes, all marked. Lost radio. All of the tapes are dated, some into the mid some into the mid 90s with others dating all the way back to 1987. He searches until he finds a tape marked Lost Radio, Summer of 89, Part 2. He walks over to the boombox, takes out the Lost Radio 2005 tape and gently sets it aside. He inserts the new tape and presses play. Cut to Interior Lost Radio Headquarters, Day 1989. Ben and Robbie sit around the microphone and the tape rolls. Robbie Robbie, are you recording? Can we do this later? No, we need to do this before we leave. Well, if you wouldn't have kept talking when I noticed the last tape stop, we wouldn't have been... Welcome back to Lost Radio Broadcast, <laughs> folks. This is the summer of 89, part deux. Please don't call it that. Part deux? Why not? Because it makes you sound like a douche bag. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Where were we? With the knife, and Jenna found out that... We right, were... right, okay. We were walking back down the mountain when Jenna realized... Exterior Woods Trail, day 1989. Robbie and Jenna walk along either side of Ben, who holds the knife as they make their way through the woods. Jenna snatches the knife from Ben's hand. Wait a minute. He wasn't hiding it in two locations. She rotates the knife so its tip is away from her. These two lines aren't the end point. They're the starting point. 
pointing out the symbols. Both of these lines start on the handle near the butt of the knife. Then they both converge here at the symbol for safety, fire. From there, it's one line that runs up the blade until the split. What does that mean? It means that this wasn't a map with two ending locations, it's a map with two starting locations. Since we know that this symbol is a river, then we weren't far from the safety point. We just need to get there, then the symbols on the blade should lead us to the gold, or damn close. We just need to find the right time to go after it. Ben looks up at the mountain, and then at the gargantuan task ahead. Interior, Adam's bedroom, night, present. Adam stuffs a flashlight into his backpack and zips it shut. Clanging sounds come from the other side of the room. Adam sets his bag down and walks over to his door and cracks it open. Interior, Adam's house, living room, same. Viv sits on the floor, unpacking a box that's spilled all around her. Intercut, Adam and Viv talking. Adam leans his head further into the hallway. Mom? Yeah, honey? I'm headed to bed. Okay. Do you need anything? Uh, No, I'm all right. Good night. Night. Viv hears Adam's door shut, and she takes a breath. Interior, Adam's bedroom, same. Adam eyes the bag on his floor. Exterior, Adam's house, night. Adam's backpack hits the ground, and he lands next to it. He slings his backpack around his shoulder. Sneaking around to the other side of the house, Adam grabs his bike and rides off. Exterior, Garrett's house, night. Adam gently parks his bike on the other side of the house and looks around. Garrett's light is on. Discreetly, Adam makes his way to the window. Garrett. Hey, Garrett. Nothing. Adam looks around again to see if anyone has heard him. All clear. He leans down and picks up a few pebbles. He starts chucking them at Garrett's window. Garrett. Garrett, come outside. Garrett. Garrett. Why are you throwing stones at my window? (laughs) Adam whips around to find Garrett standing with his dog, Lou. What are you doing out here? I found it. I found the second lost radio tape. You did? Where? Well, it's a long story, but basically Ben is my dad. He is? I knew it. Really? Well, no, but that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, and even crazier, Jenna's my mom. Jenna's your mom? Are you kidding me? Is Robbie your uncle? (laughs) No. No. But listen, I know how to read the map on the knife. They they don't say exactly where the gold is, but they talk about the map. We've got to go up there tonight. Tonight? There's no way. I already snuck out. As soon as my mom finds out I'm doing this, this is our only chance for who knows how long. Garrett, thanks for a moment. Conflicted. Let me get some stuff together. Okay, great. I'll, I'll wait right here. Well, don't wait right here. It's the middle of the yard. Well, obviously, I'm not going to wait right here. But go wait over there, behind the fence. <laughs> right, right. Garrett walks into the house, and Adam heads toward the shed. Exterior, Garrett's house, shed, later. Adam sits, looking over the picture of Ben, Jenna, and Robbie. Reporting for duty, sir. Adam looks up at Garrett, who is dressed in full military garb, with a duffel bag packed to the max. Damn, Adam Garrett. stands. Damn, Garrett. We're going for one night. <laughs> Rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it, I always say. Well, not always. That was maybe the second time I've ever said that. <laughs> Come on, let's go. What about Ella? That's where we're going to go find out. Adam and Garrett, head off. Exterior, interior, Lancaster Automotive, garage night. Adam and Garrett ride up to the shop. They park their bikes and walk through the opened garage door. No workers are around. Ella enters from the office. She shuts off the office lights and locks the door behind her. She finds Adam and Garrett standing there, and Garrett smiles and waves. Hey, Ella. She approaches them, looking annoyed. Hi, Garrett. Explain, and I'm closing up, so make it quick. I know how to get the gold. What do you mean? I mean, I know how to read the map. A second lost radio tape explains it. All, all we need to do is follow it. Great. And we'll find the gold. Have fun. Ella starts putting tools away. No, we're here because we're doing this tonight. Aren't you grounded? He is, but we snuck out. It's exhilarating. I'm proud of you, Garrett. But like I told Adam yesterday, I'm not helping with this anymore. You have to. Here, 
Look, he pulls out the knife. This symbol here means safety. This is the river, so then we follow this path here, and the entrance to the gold is right here. Ella looks it over, impressed, but not convinced. Where did you find a second tape? It's complicated. Ben and Jen are the parents. What? Garrett. They're your parents? Yeah, I, I found a box with all my dad's lost radio tapes. Off her look? We can't do this without you. Well, that's obvious. She considers. Garrett flashes a big smile and mouths, please. Let's go. All right. Do you need to pack anything? No. Garrett's probably got three days' worth of food and gear in that bag. (laughs) Five days? See? All good. (laughs) They each get on their bikes. Garrett struggles to maintain his balance with the bike and his oversized bag. As they ride away, we pan to reveal a truck with the motor running. Eyes reflected in the mirror watch our gang ride off. Exterior, Jenna's house, night, 1989. Robbie and Ben ride up to Jenna's house, and all the lights are on. They park their bikes and duck behind bushes. Inside, they see Jenna fighting with Jenna's dad, 50. Jenna's mom, also 50, stands with her arms crossed. Shit. Jenna storms up the stairs. Come on. They ride toward the house. Exterior, Jenna's house, backyard, night, 1989. Staying low, Ben and Robbie sneak to the back of Jenna's house. They hide behind a swing set, looking up at Jenna's window. Ben pulls a walkie-talkie from his bag. Jenna. Jenna, are you there? Come in. Interior, Jenna's house, Jenna's room, same. Jenna sits at her desk, head in her hands, close on a walkie-talkie on Jenna's nightstand. Ben's voice crackles through. Jenna. Jenna, pick up. What's happening? Jen walks over and grabs the walkie-talkie. Ben, hey. Intercut walkie-talkie conversation. What's going on? My parents aren't letting me leave. What? Why not? I told them I was headed to my friend's house tonight, and they thought I was lying, which I was, but still. I <laughs> I waited for them to go to bed, and when I tried to sneak out, my dad was downstairs waiting like a crazy person. It's fine. We'll wait for you. We'll, we'll do it another night. No. My dad said that they're increasing the search for us tomorrow. Tonight's the only night we've got. I don't care. We're waiting. Ben, Robbie's right. You were, you were the one who said we had to go tonight. You guys can't risk waiting. We need you there. You started this without me, and you can finish it without me. You've got my notes. You'll be fine. Ben looks to Robbie, then back to Jenna at her window. I'll be back in the morning. Can't wait. Come on. We've got to get going. Ben nods. Good luck, guys. Thanks, Jenna. Going to miss you. Robbie takes off. Ben rises, and he and Jenna share a smile. Ben heads off. Exterior woods, trail, night, present. Adam and Ella ride through the woods, and Garrett trails behind. They ride up to a steep, rocky slope in the trail and stop. Adam looks if there's a way around, but the slope gets steeper around him. Garrett rides up out of breath. Adam and Ella start to hide their bikes behind a tree. Garrett stands still, watching in disbelief. We're leaving all our stuff? Just take whatever you can carry. Garrett considers his Adam, and Ella hide their bikes. Garrett drops his bike and his bag, and he pulls out a collapsible walking stick, extends it, and walks ahead of Adam and Ella. Exterior, woods, (laughs) trail, night, 1989. Ben and Robbie stand at the same rocky slope, looking up at the daunting task ahead of them. They drop their bikes and start to climb. Exterior, woods, slope, night, present. The gang climbs with Ella leading, and Adam right behind her, and Garrett bringing up the rear. Doing great, guys. Keep climbing. You okay, Garrett? Not at all. Great. Adam reaches his hand upward, but slips and starts to fall backwards. Before he falls, his wrist is grabbed. He looks up and sees exterior, woods, slope, night, 1989. Ben is looking down, his arm extended as he holds on. I got you. Ben starts to pull. Cut to exterior, woods, slope, night, present. Adam is pulled to his feet, and Ella releases her grip once Adam is stabilized. You good? Adam nods, and Ella flashes him a smile. He smiles back. 
Come on, we're almost there. They continue to climb. Cut to exterior woods, top of the slope, night, 1989, as Ben lists Robbie to the top of the slope, where the ground levels off into a clearing. Thanks. They turn to see a massive mill covered in overgrowth, sitting on the edge of the river. Ben and Robbie marvel at the structure for a moment. They approach. Cut to exterior old mill, night, present. Adam, Garrett, and Ella walk up to the door, rotted and rusted from years of decay. Adam shoves his shoulder into the door, and it easily breaks apart under the pressure. Interior old mill continuous. Moonlight spills into the mill from holes in the roof, revealing rusted gears and machinery tangled in vines. Adam, Garrett, and Ella walk through. What do you think this place was? Rogue's Hollow Mill. My grandpa told me about it. Shut down after Rogue's Hollow was abandoned. It's also one of the most haunted places in the country. Second only to Rogue's Hollow. Okay, we can do without the facts, Garrett. They continue walking. Exterior old mill bridge, night, present. They walk out of the mill onto the wooden bridge and carefully cross as the river rushes beneath them. Exterior woods, slope, night, present. The bikes of Adam, Ella, and Garrett rest near a tree with Garrett's big bag placed on top. Headlights approach as, and stop at the bottom of the slope. Someone gets out of the truck and walks over to the bikes. Cut to interior Jenna's room, night, 1989. Jenna lays in her bed under the covers with the lights off. She tosses and turns, but she can't get comfortable. She throws the blankets off and sits up. Interior Jenna's house, hallway, same. Jenna's bedroom door creaks open. She pokes out her head and the place is completely dark. Not a sound. Interior Jenna's house, Jenna's room, same. She stands at her window for a moment, then slides it open. Cut to interior Adam's house, Viv's bedroom, night. Viv lies in bed, asleep. Her eyes open and she sits up. She looks around her room. Something about the silence discomforts her. Interior, Adam's house. Adam's bedroom, continuous. Viv cracks open Adam's bedroom door. Adam, sweetie? Nothing. She turns on the light, and as soon as it's on, she sees his empty bed and his open window. Adam? Adam? Viv runs to the window and peers out. As she whips around to leave, her eye catches the lost radio tapes on the desk. She picks one up and looks over them in disbelief. But with these, she has an idea of where he is. Viv runs out of the room. Exterior woods, night present. Adam, Ella, and Garrett walk through the woods as Adam examines the serpent knife. Ella walks beside him. What does it say? Looks like the road ends at this waterfall here. Hey, come look at this. Ella and Adam walk over to Garrett, who shines his light on a rusted 1930s-era car with a tree grown right through it. Wow. That's awesome. I know. How do you think it got out here? Somebody must have dumped it a long time ago. They all move toward the car and take a closer look. Then Adam sees something through the trees. He pushes the, branch, he pushes the branches aside, and his jaw drops at the sight. His gaze is still fixated on whatever is beyond the branches when he taps Ella. What? Adam, Stop. Without tearing his eyes away, he grabs Ella and turns toward what he sees. She looks up, breathless. Garrett notices he's the only one still at the car, and now he looks up. His eyes grow wide. Whoa. They all move through the trees and come on to exterior Rogue's Hollow continuous. With its decrepit buildings embraced by overgrowth, broken down cars seemingly sinking into the earth, and no sign of a modern touch since the late 40s, Rogue's Hollow is the epitome of a ghost town. Adam, Ella, and Garrett walked through what was once Rogue's Hollow Main Street, but is now a sea of tall grass. I can't believe it's all still here. Anyone else terrified right now? Not at all. So this is Rogue's Cut Hollow. Cut to exterior Rogue's Hollow night, 1989. Ben and Robbie walk through the town. Rogue's Hollow. It looks the same as it will nearly three decades from now. 
Robbie. I know. Don't touch anything. Oh, what did Jenna's notes say? Oh, oh. Scrambles um, to the notebook. Uh, give me one second. Finding the page. Okay. According to the knife, we're still on track for the waterfall. We just need to continue through the town. Which direction, though? Um, well, according to the notes, <laughs> I have no idea. Off of Ben's look. But, but if we got up high enough, we might be able to see it. We'd have to climb a tree or part of the mountain or... Robbie looks back at Ben, who's climbing a wooden water tower. A 130-year-old water tower. <laughs> Cut to exterior Rogue's Hollow Night, present. Adam pulls himself to the top of the water tower. He looks around and can see everything. The top of the mountain, above all the trees, even the lights from Lancaster. On the ground, three stories below, stand Garrett and Ella. Do you see anything? Adam looks around and suddenly he spots the rushing white rapids of the waterfall, just above the trees in the distance. I see it. I see it. We're not far. Yeah? Excellent. Great work. Now come down. Behind Adam at the tree line, headlights emerge. It's probably another 20 minutes on the west side of the... Adam turns and sees the headlights. Oh. Cut to Rogue's Hollow Night, 1989, Ben on the water tower. Shit. Ben looks off in the distance. On the side of the mountain, opposite of the waterfall, are three trucks, two police trucks, and one unmarked truck with their lights on. What? What is it? There's a group of people at the bottom of the mountain. They look like cops. What? They're not supposed to start searching until tomorrow. Come on, we've got to go. Ben goes to climb down, but he sees the two police trucks depart from the wall and drive right toward them. They're coming this way. Your light! Turn your light off! Ben realizes that his flashlight is still on. He quickly turns it off and races down the waterfall. Water tower. He lands on the ground (laughs) next to Robbie, and they run back toward the tree line. Behind them, the two trucks round the corner and drive down the Rogue's Hollow Main Street. Truck one blasts a searchlight. Robbie and Ben take cover behind a building while the two trucks roll slowly down Main Street. We move back to the water tower and cut to Rogue's Hollow Night present. Adam stands atop the water tower while Garrett and Ella stand on the ground. The truck sits on the tree line, engine running. Adam, get down here! The truck tears through the grass and heads right for them. Adam! Run! Ella hesitates, but Garrett grabs his grabs her arm and they run toward the mountain away from the truck. Adam hurries to the ladder, but the truck is quickly nearing the water tower. He won't make it down the down in time. Adam leaps from the water tower's ladder onto a nearby roof and ducks down. The truck speeds past Adam's location towards Ella and Garrett. Ella sprints around the corner of the building, and Garrett tries to follow, but he slips and falls. He looks up to see the headlights coming right toward him. Ella doubles back and pushes Garrett behind a building, and we cut to Rogue's Hollow Night, 1989. Behind that same building, Ben and Robbie are now hiding. Think we can make a run for it? No, just stay here. Robbie pokes his head around the corner of the building. What are you doing? Robbie leans out further, and a spotlight shines right on them. He books it away from Ben and their hiding spot. Damn it, Robbie! Ben tries to run after Robbie, but truck one zooms in front of him. He races through a vine-covered alley. Between each building on the other side of the street, he can see Robbie sprinting in the same direction, but truck one is quickly gaining on Robbie. Ben darts past building after building. He continues on as we hold on one of the buildings and cut to Rogue's Hollow present. Ella and Garrett stay hidden between the behind the building, and they hear the truck rumbling, but it's nowhere to be seen. Where is he? I can't see. We need to get back to Adam. They walk onto Main Street. The truck's rumbling echoes throughout Rogue's Hollow, making it impossible to, t- to determine the truck's location. Then, the truck's engine roars behind them, and Ella and Garrett turn. The truck's lights fire on, nearly blinding them. They run away from it as the truck continues chase. On the roof, Adam watches the the truck quickly approach Ella and Garrett. He runs after them, hopping from roof to roof. Cut to Exterior Rogue's Hollow Night, 1989. Ben jets through the buildings onto Main Street, and he looks around in a panic. He can't find Robbie. No! Get off me! Get off me! Ben! 
Ben runs toward the sound of Robbie's voice. Robbie! He approaches the end of Main Street and sees Robbie being forced into the back of truck one. As soon as Robbie is inside, truck one drives off. Ben takes off after it. No, Robbie, get back here, you assholes! Truck one abruptly stops and reverses toward Ben. Oh, shit. He turns to run from truck one, but just as he does, truck two cuts him off. Ben stops on a dime. A police officer gets out of the truck. Hands up, now! Ben looks for a way out, but he's cornered between the two trucks. He puts his hands above his head. Cut to exterior rogues hollow night present. On the roof, Adam pursues Ella and Garrett, who are being chased by the truck. Adam leaps onto the... Adam leaps onto the next roof and falls right through it as as if he jumped onto tissue paper. Ella sees Adam crash through the roof. Adam! She changes direction and runs toward the building. Garrett follows. They get to the front door of the building and Adam walks out, dazed and covered in dirt, dust, and cuts. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Come on. Just then, the truck growls right behind them and has them trapped between the truck and the building. The truck's door opens and someone gets out. All we see is a silhouette. What? What are you gonna do? There's three of us and one of you. Another person gets out on the other side. Only their silhouette is seen. The first person steps forward. The lights reveal Dustin, holding a baseball bat with a Grinch-like smile stretched across his face. What's going on, kids? Exterior, Rogue's Hollow Tree Line, night 1989. Jenna appears in the tree line. Suddenly, the lights of the two police trucks shine on her. She ducks behind the old car with the tree growth through it. As soon as the trucks turn, she sees Ben and Robbie are in the back seat. The two police trucks drive toward the the mountain. Jenna breaks through the tree line and follows them. Cut to exterior rogues hollow night present. Dustin stands with his bat in hand, calling at his side. Adam, Ella, and Garrett standing in a row. Sneaking out after getting arrested. The balls. Even on the girl. <laughs> Even bigger balls coming up to Rose Hollow at night. Right, Dustin? <laughs> Which makes me wonder. Why? What, you followed us all the way up here to kick our asses? Maybe. Dude, no. It's not the 80s. We can't just beat the hell out of a bunch of 12-year-olds. <laughs> We're smarter than that. See, you want us to kick your ass because if we do, one of you will pull out your phones, record it, and then we're the bad guys. Oh, my God. How are you so painfully dumb? <laughs> Watch it, sweetheart. About the bat? This is just to make sure you three come with us. Dustin gets right in Garrett's face. Starting with you. Just then, a fist lands on Dustin's face, sending waves through his chubby cheeks. He falls hard on the ground. Ella stands over him. Everyone stares in shock. (laughs) Dustin lays on the ground, trying to figure out where the hell he is. Don't ever come at my friends like that. Especially not with some half-assed Negan routine. (laughs) Now I see you having two options. One, you get back in your brother's truck and head home, where I'm sure he'll beat your ass worse than me when he finds out you stole it. Or, you come with us. Keep your mouth shut and help. Help with what? We're going after Quetzalcoatl's gold. Your choice. Uh, We'll come with you. We'll we'll come come with you. Great! Now get your ass up. You're slowing us down. (laughs) Dustin reaches for a helping hand and Ella slaps it away. She passes Colin. (laughs) Hope you were recording that one. Adam and Garrett smile in disbelief, and they follow Ella. Exterior, Woods Night, 1989. Jenna runs through the woods and comes onto the spot where the trucks are parked. Two police trucks pull up. Jenna stays low as she moves in for a closer view. Interior, police truck, Woods, same. Ben and Robbie sit in the back seat of the truck. They took the knife? And Robbie nods. The truck's door opens, and James Vess sits down. Ben can't believe his eyes. He looks at Robbie, perplexed. James stares ahead breathing steady through his clenched jaw. You know, you shouldn't be up here. I d- didn't know it was restricted. We, we didn't see any signs. Consider it restricted. 
What were you doing? <laughs> You're the fugitive. What are you doing up here? Did those cops help you escape? You got them in your pocket too? Ben gives Robbie a look that tells him to calm down. James is silent. He then reaches behind his back, pulls out the serpent knife, and faces the boys. Ben and Robbie exchange looks, but don't say anything. Where did you find it? Ben shrugs. Appeared out of thin air? They don't break. James turns back around and lets out a huff. Suddenly, James forces his door open and then slams it shut. He opens the backseat door with the rage and aggression in his eyes, and James reaches for the boys. You're looking in the wrong spot! James stops. What did you say? You're looking for the gold on the wrong side of the mountain. That's not gonna work. Now get out of Doc the- Vess! James stops upon hearing the name. Where you're digging isn't where your dad found the gold. We know where it is, and we can take you to it. Motioning toward the knife. But we're going to need that. James looks up at the serpent knife. Exterior, woods, truck site, night, 1989. Jenna hides as she watches James Vest get in the driver's seat and drive away from the police trucks, deeper into the woods. She turns and runs back from whence she came. Exterior, police station, night, present. Viv's car screeches to a halt in the police station parking lot as she hurries aside. Interior police station continuous. Viv sprints into the police station lobby. She rounds the corner into the sheriff's office, and the sheriff sits at his desk on his laptop, and Viv stops at the door. Robbie! The sheriff looks up. Hey, Jenna. You okay? Holding up the lost radio tape. It's Adam. Sheriff Robbie's face goes pale when he sees the tape. Exterior police station continuous. Sheriff Robbie and Viv head to the police SUV. He wasn't at the shack in the woods. No, I I think he headed up to the mountain. It's okay. We'll find him. They get in the police SUV and pull out of the parking lot, and we take off down the road. We hold on the dark, empty road. Exterior police station, night, 1989. Through the darkness, Jenna appears on her bike. She turns into the police station parking lot and hops off. She runs toward the police station and passes Sheriff Munson and another police officer walking out. Sheriff Munson. Jenna, what's the matter? James Vess is holding Robbie and Ben up at Rogue's Hollow. What do you mean? What are they doing up there? It's a long story. They're okay, but he's got them. Get inside the dispatch. Get all units up to the mountain. You know where they are? Yeah, I can show you. Sheriff Munson heads toward a police jeep. Get in. Jenna hurries around the jeep and goes to the open door. In the back. Jenna opens the door and jumps in. Exterior woods, top of the waterfall, night, 1989. Ben, Robbie, and James stand on the riverbank near the top of the waterfall. In front of them stands a towering, flat, stone state shrouded in vines. James holds the serpent knife and looks at Ben. What do we do? I don't know. This is the end of the map. There's nowhere else to go. Ben rips the vines away, revealing the symbol for fire. He smiles when he sees it. This is it. James pushes past Ben up to the symbol, and he laughs with childlike glee. (laughs) So how do we get in? We need the key. What's the key? You're holding it. James looks down at the serpent knife. They look around the slate, but other than the symbol, the slab is completely bare. Where's the keyhole? I don't know. It's not here. What do you mean it's not here? Keep looking. Ben stands in front of the stone slate and watches as James frantically searches for the keyhole. Exterior woods, top of the waterfall, night, present. Adam stands in front of the stone slate, looking at the fire symbol imprinted into the rock. Why would it lead us to a dead end? Maybe you're reading the knife wrong. Hey, what did I tell you about keeping your mouth shut? You said you wanted help. That's not helping. While they continue to argue, Garrett stands on the edge of the cliff, next to the waterfall, staring at the river below. He then walks up to the group as they continue bickering. Everybody calm down. We can't just... Adam stops, and Garrett stands, holding out his hand. What? What is it? The knife. Adam hands Garrett the knife. 
Garrett walks back to the edge of the waterfall and holds the serpent knife up to his nose, with the tip of the knife pointed out toward the river below. The group walks over to Garrett, and Garrett holds the serpent knife up to his nose for a moment longer. He puts it down and points to a boulder splitting the river in two. There. That's the entrance. What? That boulder in the middle of the river. That's the entrance. Here, see for yourself. Garrett hands the knife to Adam, and Adam holds the knife up to his nose with the knife's tip facing the river. From Adam's point of view, the serpent knife's blade outlines the river, and in between the split on the serpent's tongue at the tip of the knife is the boulder. Garrett, you're a genius. Handing the knife to Ella. Take a look. Pointing at the stone slate. That's not the entrance. Pointing to the boulder in the river. That is. Ella sees what they're seeing, and she stares in disbelief. Cut to exterior woods, top of the waterfall, night... 1989. James walks away in a rage. You think I'm up here playing around? Let's go! Ben stands in front of the stone (laughs) slate, still baffled. Let's go! Robbie pulls Ben away, but Ben hesitates to leave. Then, Ben joins Robbie and James as they walk away. Pan to the boulder in the river. Exterior woods, river boulder, night, present. The river water flows as Adam and Ella stands atop the boulder, helping Garrett, Dustin, and Colin out of the water. Once everyone is on top of the boulder, Adam searches with his flashlight. He spots an arrow symbol imprinted in the rock. Look! The rest of the group join him and look at the symbol. He then points to the same arrow symbol on the serpent knife. The arrow, it it means... Protection. The entrance has to be under here. Look for a keyhole or, or anything we can open it with. They all search around the rock, and Adam notices that they're standing on a flat slab of rock unnaturally elevated from the rest of the boulder. The rock, it's flat. Everybody get to the side. They all do as instructed, and Adam kneels at the base of the flat rock and starts to push. Come on, help me. Uh, The stone budges as Ella and Garrett jump down and push with Adam. The slab moves a few more inches. Dustin and Colin join, and the slab slides forward. Adam shines his light into the hole, revealing footholes crudely carved into the stone. Their faces light up, and Adam descends. Interior, cavern entrance continuous. Adam lands in the small cavern, shining his flashlight around. He sees a large circular stone, a large circular stone protruding from the wall. Ella, Garrett, and Dustin stand behind Adam as he approaches. Adam illuminates the stone and sees the symbol for tribe, carved into it with a keyhole to the right of the symbol. Adam pushes the knife into the keyhole and twists. He steps back as the circular stone rolls to the right, pulling a rope attached to the door on the ground. The rope lifts up, The rope lifts the door open and stops. Adam shines his flashlight inside and smiles. What is it? I think... I think this is it. Adam climbs inside, and everyone follows. Interior, Kalataka's village, night. Adam takes a step off the ladder onto the ground and looks around. Complete darkness. Garrett takes a step off the ladder and bumps right into Ella. Garrett! Sorry! I can't see! Shh! They immediately stop bickering and focus on Adam, who scans the wall with his flashlight. He finds a lantern connected to the wall, and next to it is another lantern. And he moves down the line, finding more lanterns. Garrett, do you have a... Garrett retrieves a lighter from his cargo pants. He takes the lighter and ignites the first lantern. The flame catches and gives sparks to one lantern after another. Their collective glow reveals something that illuminates everyone's faces with wonder. Kalataka's Hidden Village. Jaws dropped, eyes wide, speechless. The gang, including Dustin and Colin, stare for several moments in astonishment. The small village is perched on the bank of of a pool of water. The lantern light reflects off the water and dances on the walls painted with elaborate drawings and symbols. On the bank, canoes are still docked. Everything is preserved as if Kalataka's tribe was there yesterday. They all step carefully around the village as they gape at the hand-carved huts. 
the hell is this place? I don't know, but my cousin just got a whole lot cooler. <laughs> Elle examines a wall covered in paintings, and Adam joins her. This is crazy. It's like they were just painted. Adam moves around. Look at this. He made all of this to keep his people safe. He walks over to a small hammock large enough for a baby. They were just trying to survive until they got their land back. Hey, get over here. They look around. Dustin and Colin are nowhere in sight. Where are you? Over here. The gang follows the sound of their voices, which seem to be coming from behind a wall. You know, if they're stuck in the wall, we could just leave them here. Off their looks? Yeah, what's wrong? But we could. (laughs) They stop at the wall. Dustin is at a small opening at the end, and they follow him into the gold cache. Interior, Calatecas Village, gold cache continuous. As soon as they're inside, they find themselves standing in front of gold coins and bricks, even jewelry piled halfway to the ceiling. Ella's eyes fill with tears. Grandpa's right. Dustin slowly dips his hand into the um, basket of gold coins and shoves the handful into his pockets. Then, like the gold is going to disappear, Dustin furiously shoves more coins into his pockets and Colin quickly joins in. A coin rolls near Adam. He picks it up and admires its design. Come on, give us a hand. Once Dustin's pockets are full, he starts unloading gold bricks, setting them at Adam's feet. Guys, help us. This is what you came for, isn't it? Adam puts the coin in his pocket and takes a step forward, but he's stopped by Garrett's arm. Garrett's eyes aren't on Adam or the gold. They're on the ropes pulled taut against the wall. Adam looks at the ropes and sees what they're connected sees that they're connected to a platform underneath the gold. With each pound of gold unloaded, the ropes loosen. Booby trapped. Dustin, play, Dustin pays no attention and continues unloading. Ella moves to help them, but Adam stops and points out the loosening ropes to her. The gang slowly backs away. Colin sees them. Adam nods to the danger, and Colin takes a step back. Dustin, we shouldn't be taking this. Dustin continues unloading brick after brick of gold. It's not ours to take. Please put it back. Seriously, dude, we gotta go. Don't be a pussy. Suddenly, the walls rumble and water starts to sprinkle down from the ceiling. Dustin! Ella grabs Adam's arm. We need to leave now. Adam hesitates, but if he doesn't leave now, he never will. Ella pulls Garrett, Adam, and Colin away from the gold. Dustin unloads a basket of gold onto the platform, then turns back for more, but the walls violently shake and water is now gushing from above. With abject fear in his eyes, Dustin tries running away, but the water crashes down around him and he disappears beneath the surface. Interior, Kalataka's village continuous. Adam, Ella, Garrett, and Colin race toward the canoes as water falls around them. Come on, get in! They all hop into a canoe and paddle away from the village, which is quickly being submerged underwater. Ella looks down, a hole in the canoe is letting in water. We're going to sink. Garrett takes off his jacket and fashions a makeshift patch over the hole. He looks up and gives a sly, confident smirk. Rocks from the cavern ceiling start splashing next to them. Where are we going? The water's flowing this way. There's, there's got to be an opening. Just keep paddling. Dustin bursts from below the surface and inhales a deep breath. He waves his hand at the gang. Help! Help! Dustin! Come on, swim. We can't, we can't turn back. Dustin starts swimming as fast as he can, flapping about, boulders falling next to him and more water pouring from above. Hurry! You can make it! He swims and swims, his head going under. Finally, he reaches his arm and grabs the canoe, and the gang pulls him aboard. Help us paddle. Dustin leans over and starts paddling with his hands. Ahead, moonlight pierces through a hole. There! They paddle faster and faster, getting closer to the light. The cavern is falling apart and the water rises more quickly. The opening is covered by thick overgrowth. They row up to it and hack away at the vines as the water pushes them upward until exterior Kalataka's village, river continuous, they break through onto an open river. They all look back, realizing they're safe, and exhale a deep sigh of relief. They cheer and continue down the river. Interior, exterior, Vess's truck slash woods, driving, night, 1989. James Vess drives down the mountain while Robbie and Ben sit silently in the back seat. 
Robbie looks at James, who stews in anger. Ben stares out the window, completely defeated. Oh, what the hell is this? James is met with flashing police lights. The boys look up and see the entire Lancaster Police Department is in front of them. James parks and hurries out of the truck. Exterior woods continuous. James attempts to run, but is met by police officers all around him. He jukes to avoid them, but to no avail. Ben and Robbie get out of the truck. Jen stands behind Sheriff Munson. She smiles when she sees the boys. The boys run past James as he shuffles around the deputies. James Vess, you have the right to remain silent. No, this isn't what it seems. Anything you say can and will be used against you. James finds an opening and sprints in the opposite direction, and Sheriff Munson releases a sigh of frustration. Oh, Jesus. Go and get him. The deputies take off toward James. Ben and Robbie walk up to Jenna, all smiles. I knew you weren't going to be able to stay home. Yeah, well, I figured you two were going to screw it up somehow. They laugh and hug. In the background, a screaming James Vess gets tackled to the ground by the deputies. So? Ben despondently shakes his hand, his head. I don't know what happened. Robbie puts his arm around Ben. Uh, it's all right. It's still up there. We'll be back. He reaches and pulls Jenna underneath his other arm. Jenna, scale of one to dead, how much trouble do you think you're in? Shut up, Robbie. <laughs> they all get into the back of the police jeep. Exterior, riverbank, old mill, night, present. The kids float downstream in the canoe. They reach the old mill and bring the canoe ashore. They get out and make their way to the front of the old mill, and Garrett collapses onto the ground, gasping. I hate the water. Adam laughs, and Colin hurries to Dustin. I'm so sorry, dude. I didn't want to leave you. I thought you were dead. I... Dustin pulls him in tight for a bear hug. Headlights of the police SUV come over the hill and shine onto the group. They shield their eyes. Uh-oh. The SUV stops, and Viv gets out. Mom? Adam. Viv runs over to Adam and embraces him tightly. Sheriff Robbie checks on Garrett and Ella. Mom, I'm so sorry. It's okay. She shows him the tape. I know. Tears well up in his eyes. There's just one thing I want to know. Off of Adam's look. Is it real? Adam smiles and hands her over one gold coin he grabbed from the cavern. Viv's jaw drops. She doesn't know if she should even touch it. Then she pulls Adam in for another hug. Excuse me? Viv and Adam look over at Ella, who's standing beside them. Are you Jenna from the tape? I am. I just want to say, you're a total badass. (laughs) Viv laughs, and she looks up at Sheriff Robbie, who smiles. You kids might be a little more badass. Viv puts her arm around Adam, and they all all head toward the SUV. Interior, Lost Radio Headquarters Day, 1989. The tape in the radio turns, and Ben sits in front of a microphone by himself, slashed over. Push, push, pop. The door opens, and Jenna enters. What's happening? Hey. How you doing? Fine, I guess. I just don't know what I messed up. You didn't mess up. You've got plenty of time to figure it out and go back. Besides, even if this one didn't pan out, there are plenty more adventures ahead. She pulls out a blank cassette tape and places it on the table. Ben smiles at the sight. Thanks. For everything I've done for you, I don't know if thanks is going to cut it. (laughs) What will? Jenna walks directly to Ben and kisses him. After a moment, she pulls back. Ben is taken aback, but he loved it. Jenna smiles and kisses him again, and they continue as we pan into the boombox. Interior, Lost Radio Headquarters, day, present. The boombox boom ages before our eyes to present day. Adam, Garrett, and Ella gather around the table, connecting microphone cords to a laptop. On the laptop screen, Garrett types, Lost Radio Podcast, Episode 1. They all settle in and put on headphones. Ella looks to Adam, and the two share a warm smile and sit close to each other. Garrett presses record on the laptop. He points to Adam, signaling that it's ready. Adam takes a deep breath, then leans into the microphone. Cut to black. 
title, Lost Radio. Ah. Um, Beautifully read, everyone. John, I love this script, and I can't wait to talk about it. Do we need to take a restroom break? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in five minutes to talk all about this script with our brilliant writer, so don't move a muscle. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the Unproduced Table Read. We just read Lost Radio, written by John Swansinger, who we have in studio. John, once again, we love this script. This is your first time having a table read, right? Uh, this one, yeah. It's okay, so it was your first time? How, uh, did, yeah. how did you feel about kind of your first table read experience with this script specifically? Um, it's, it's interesting because you can hear it. You hear just kind of, uh, you hear like different, different ways, different interpretations of it. And there's also like lines that I hadn't read since I've written them or read in a while. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can change that, or that one can get cut a little bit, or, you know, you can mix that one around. It's in pretty um, good shape, though, man. Yeah. I feel like it's, this is a Thanks. polished draft, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely polished, um, but, you know, it's never, it's never done. Yeah. It's never done until it's, you know, on a screen and you're watching it. So. And even still, you're like, is, was it done? Yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, I could have made that cut differently. <laughs> it's the ultimate writer's burden, right? Yeah, it's just exactly. trying to figure out when it's at least ready to be seen by people. Right, right. Um, well, I think it's in great shape, and it was such a fun read. Um, one thing I want to ask you, this is so clearly a script that's, um, warmly evoking nostalgia, but also it totally its own thing. Obviously, the major reference we could make right now doing something similar would be Stranger Things. I mean, right. that's a runaway hit. But I want to talk to you about your process. How do you do that? How do you write an original story that's completely yours, but also kind of like lovingly pay homage to some of these movies you, you clearly love? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, like everybody here, I'm sure, as a film lover. And I you know, watch movies and TV shows as much as possible. So I think that that's, even if I'm trying to avoid it, it's still just kind of in the back of my head. Like, mm-hmm. that's part of where I pull from. So you pull from life and you pull from movies. Um, and, you know, I knew kind of consciously that I wanted to make, like, a Lost Amblin sort of, you know, movie. You're right, a Lost Amblin movie. And um, so you naturally you pull from The Goonies, you pull from E.T., and those things all kind of inspire you when you're when you're writing. And um, and so, you know, when I had that original idea, I was like, oh, it would be really cool to kind of have... Because um, I like I love nonlinear storytelling, so I love you know anything with Nolan. Uh, but I was like, what if we could put that into like a Goonies style hmm. sort of thing, where it's like a, a father and a son sort of going on the same journey together. Yeah. Um, but at the same age, you know, when you're at the same like uh, mental state, honestly. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. That's the secret sauce of the movie for sure. I yeah. mean, like it's kind of emotionally overwhelming when you first realize what's happening with these two characters. I mean, to me, maybe that's the thing that separates this from other kind of 80s, I don't want to say knockoffs, but these movies that borrow from these classic conventions. Totally. And it sounds like that was the springboard for your whole script. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear about like your process structuring, because Andrew and I were talking before yeah. we went live. It's such a perfectly structured script. Yeah, it's incredibly well-balanced, and especially messing with like the time hopping and not wasting time explaining it is, is yeah, so... I just wanted to yeah. hop on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, I it's it's a process for sure. I started this one. I I did. Uh, I knew it was going to get confusing with you know they're so similar and all the storylines are so similar or in certain points. So I did uh, cards that were just each each storyline was a different color, and so I knew all right if if there's if this storyline's going on too long like there's too much red on the board then all right I need to break that up a little bit because we're going to stick with them too long. You know, we're going to want to see the other characters, and we're going to want to get that other storyline. And also it was making sure that it wasn't just repeating the same information from A, a storyline, present day, to 89 storyline. So it was, they have to fill in something, and then in 89, they have to fill in more information. And then trying to balance the, uh, the 
kind of like when they listen to the tape because watching people listen to something uh, well this is this is great but uh, watching, <laughs> watching, yeah, watching people careful, in, in a movie in a movie is um, can can you know can get boring it's like watching somebody look at a, at a screen yeah. so you have to find a way to kind of break that up so that was sort of a balance and like I had a, a few friends who constantly read every draft and like my very first draft was super long and it, I just labeled it like in all caps like shitty draft like this is the bad draft <laughs> And he read it, and he's like, "All right, there's so much that needs to get taken out. Like this needs to, this needs to flip. This needs to go here." And um, and yeah, I would, I would just try to sort of parse out information properly, and it was just try after try to mm-hmm. kind of get that right, and have other people read it and say, "This is getting too long. It's boring." A couple questions. Do you know what number draft this is? This is probably four. Oh, okay. It's pretty good. Four or five, yeah. <laughs> and and you're talking about plotting and. Sounds like you have a whole board color system. Did you have I like I noticed you kind of get to end of tape one, two tape two, right in the middle. Yeah. Were you plotting those out as well? Like I want to be at the mountain by this point. I want to be were those also and what were those points that you wanted to hit? Yeah, so I knew that at the end of tape one that was gonna be near the end of act two. So I needed to find a way, okay, when when would it be like, oh we're right there? And like that tape should cut off so conveniently, um, <laughs> and you know I, I thought okay that would that would be good, and then sort of the revelation of okay he's his dad, and with that he can sort of take that, and then they they finish the journey together up the mountain. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I just I, I wanted to hear what those points were that like you really felt like needed to be. Yeah, it was it was trying to find like okay when does the story work, when does the story like hit for them. In, in the 89 versus when does the story hit for, you know, Adam and Garrett in present day, so. How did you decide the gender of characters? Like, how did you decide his mom's still alive, his dad's the one who died, he's a boy, there's mm. a girl in both, there's two guys, a girl. Like, how did, did you think about that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was, bra- I have a sister, an older sister and a mom and a very uh, strong uh, uh girlfriend um and so there's like i'm yeah i'm surrounded by and raised by strong women so i always knew that like you know i I wanted them to sort of be i wanted the female characters to definitely be more of the the sensible characters in a way and you know the guys be this like like just we're gonna go do it because it's really cool we gotta go we gotta get the gold and like that's the cool thing and then it's like okay slow down Mm -hmm. you know you gotta like think about this um and you know i knew that it i think I think, you know, when you're a, a kid, you, when you're a young boy, I think you relate to your mom more in some way. She's always there. And you're sort of always trying to figure out, like, my dad, like, what is, like, who's my dad? Like, okay, I, you know, trying to, trying to get, trying to get more into him. You know, they're sort of always blocked off. Dad's naturally, I think. Yeah. And then once you get older, you're like, oh my God, I'm becoming my dad. Yeah. And, uh, and so I kind of thought, like, you know, with, without his dad in the, uh, without his dad there, this is the way that he would kind of get to know his dad in a way, was to go on this adventure with him. Hmm. Very cool. Theoretically. Really, really cool. One of my, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you I was going to say, one of my favorite things about this is the subtleties throughout, like even the aha moment of realizing that Ben is his dad, and then at the very end, just like the coin, you know, instead of actually saying anything. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, his last line is like, Mom, I'm sorry, and he's the main character, essentially. So like, 
I think it's brilliantly done how subtle everything is throughout. Did you start with these things, like, being much grander or being, like, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't know. He comes out with, like, a gold coin. He's like, see, Mom, this is for Dad. You know, like, crap like <laughs> yeah, that. No, how I did mean, you bring it down to, to what we got? I, I, I don't know how, like, I don't know what the ratio is, but I know that um, I love to... I love those moments in movies where nothing is said. Obviously, it's yeah. all shown. It's you know the basic thing. But um, whenever you can find a way to do that and still know that like the audience is going to be on on board with you, like that's so great. So sometimes it's found early, and sometimes your friend, like my friend, will read it or somebody will read it and go, "I do not need this whole monologue about <laughs> this," and you can show it in this way. So it's letting it suck at sometimes, and then also sometimes you just kind of get a feeling for it. I yeah. don't know. Because I, especially with scripts, when I have like one character and it's like a very established character early on, I don't read the whole script because I like to, I, I think it's like watching a movie, right. honestly. So I read like the first 50 pages of this and I was like, okay, Adam, I figured out who he is for the most part. And so watching this, I mean, basically watching this mm-hmm. in studio was just like, it was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing to me. It was, it, it was perfectly structured. The story was incredibly compelling, but it was so... Subtle, like I, I was just blown away by it. And the subtleties were, it was, yeah, it was just. Incredible. And the reveal, I didn't certainly didn't see it coming. Yeah, where you know, all of a sudden Ben's his dad, and then you know, and then we still don't know that Janice's mom, and then you know, then we see that okay, cool, Sheriff Robbie's there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but like, cool. yeah, to be there. The question I have is, you know, gosh, writing a script is such a daunting task. I mean, and here we are, 111 pages. What was the start to pro- start to finish process as far as length goes for you? Because I mean, we all have to find a way to make a living too, and yet oh, yeah. passion projects, which we're all involved in different passion projects, that takes up the rest of our time. So how was that balance uh, between like my day job and my sure and this? Uh, it's yeah, it's tough. I mean, you guys know it's you know it's ten twelve hour days working uh, on set, or I was working in development when I was making this. And then it's every weekend, and it's sort of a tough thing to kind of have to tell your friends, like, no, I can't go out tonight. i got to write, you yeah. know. And, I mean, I just know that, like, this, like, I'm, I moved from Ohio, like, moved away from my family for a reason to come out to L.A., kind of like everybody, I'm sure. And, you know, you can get distracted by a bunch of stuff, but when you have, like, a, a thing that you just love to do and you just want to keep making it, then it's, it's not that hard. I mean, it can be at some times, you know, but you know, just sitting down and writing it is... Uh, um, when you when you love it is is great. So I think that's like sort of the key is like make sure you love it. Mm-hmm. And if you get bored of it, then whoever's going to read it or watch it is going to get bored too. Do you have a favorite character? Um, I'm I'm impartial to uh, uh, Garrett. Mm-hmm. I do love Garrett. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Robbie's fun. I just always love those. I it's weird. I relate to those characters more than anybody. <laughs> I just like I was kind of always like the goofy chubby friend um, growing up. So I relate to the goofy chubby chubby friends in any of these kind of stories like the leads have too much work to do they have to like move the story so you can like really love the supporting characters yeah you just want to like give him a big hug yeah Yeah. well speaking of Garrett really quick because he was one of the most adorable and charming characters that I played and it was great playing him Uh, so thanks Jeff you got it Tim I need need to kill a weirdo I need (laughs) Um, when you wrote him did you envision him on the spectrum at all yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's what I completely. Thought. Yeah, completely. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, he's always, sure. you always observe these things. Yeah, you always. I do. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. great. Um, I one question Thanks. I have for you, John, is like there are differences between children's movies and movies about children. Mm-hmm. If that yeah. question makes sense. No, totally. I would love to hear because I don't write stuff like this at all, and I don't know. I think every time I write about children, I end up writing a children's movie. So I'd love to hear about how you manage to write a movie for everyone starring children. 
I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think I, I sought that out. I just love... Um, I don't know. I just like my favorite movies are sort of in that in that realm. Like mm-hmm. they're they're movies that everybody can kind of relate to, and they're fun. Um, and you know they they make you laugh, and you know they make you think a little bit. But at the same time, it's it's ultimately like a fun ride. Um, it's uh, it's something. Yeah, it's something that when I go to the movie theater, you know, with my family, like those are the movies we all enjoy collective like together the most. Um, so making a script like this just so, sort of seemed natural mm-hmm. um, to that. And it's not the only thing that I write, but it, this was certainly a lot of fun trying to, to work into something that I knew. Like when my dad reads it, when my mom reads it, if, if somebody else reads it, then everybody can kind of watch it. Everybody can kind of get it, hopefully, mm-hmm. and have fun. And with kids, I mean, I think kids are just have that natural... Um, they just have that natural carefreeness where they can kind of get away with certain things that adults, you'd kind of question their life choices. <laughs> um, and, you know, they just, they don't really have any reservations. They just sort of, they're so impulsive and everything's always at 11. Like, yeah. love is at 11 and adventure is at 11. And, you know, things that might seem, you know, small to us are, are huge to them. So yeah. that was always kind of a way to elevate those. And I guess we can all relate points. to that. Yeah. time too so there's an element of not only is this movie a nostalgic look back on classic films but it's also a nostalgic look back on a time in our lives that yeah. all of us know and remember yeah. completely even yeah. just to like the bikes on the yard yes. in the beginning I was like oh yeah I remember this yeah so you'd ride up good. to your friend's house and you'd yeah. be like yep everybody's there everyone is yep. yeah. yeah and then but Fact. then you go inside and they're all playing video games exactly yeah. yeah and I was always really bad at video games <laughs> <laughs> the fat kid being bullied yes you know, yep. that was my childhood yeah. That was definitely my childhood. Was yep. it a deliberate choice to have them playing video games? There was almost something kind of heartbreaking about feeling the beats of an 80s movie where yep. normally the kids would play outside and then they get to the door and everyone's inside playing video games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the part of this whole script was about, like, you know, when I was a kid, we were sort of moving away from, like, playing outside all the time. We were yeah. sort of moving towards screens. And now I feel like when I, like, look at my younger cousins, they're all all playing on screens and very rarely playing outside. Um, and for me, that was one. That was actually based on a, a real moment. There was a. I was like 14 or something, and everybody's playing Halo, and I <laughs> was really bad at Halo. I was just not a gamer, and I went there, and I just was destroyed and like made fun of. Like, <laughs> it was so terrible. It was such a it's traumatic brutal. experience. I know. It was really brutal. So I, I, I kind of had to put that in. So you can uh, relate, buddy. Yeah. Was... What I really loved at the end, and I think I, I probably could speak for. Well, I'm probably the oldest one here in the room. If I had to guess, I remember still recording on cassettes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the transition from lost radio cassette tapes, all of a sudden on the last page, welcome to the lost radio podcast. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I almost <laughs> lost my mind because like my buddy and I, we used to pretend we were recording artists. Yeah. When I, when I was like nine years old, we would record on a cassette tape and just take music and then play it from another cassette. Just totally like rigged it up ourselves. Yeah. Just what they did. And then all of a sudden you see the podcast, like someone like in my generation, I'm not a millennial. I'm just a little bit older. Oh my God! It like really resonates. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of seemed like a natural, a natural fit. I mean. Oh yeah, I had a radio show with my sister, and I recently got the tapes and digitized it. So I was <laughs> like, I have it forever now. <laughs> awesome. Yep. It's, it's so many people did it. I didn't really realize it until they started reading. So. Um, I have a question about the end, just because I was curious. Was there any draft that Dustin didn't make it? It's actually funny. So this draft is one of the newer ones. 
prior to the bullies, I had James Vess as an old man, sort of as the antagonist of that. And it sort of felt a little weird that this old guy was, you know, <laughs> there was there were a lot of problems with that. And um, my one friend was just like, listen, you have to, you have to make them kids and make it like a, you have to make the bullies go after them. That just seems more natural. And when I did that, it did. And it, it, it filled a lot of the holes that I were seeing throughout the script. Um, so there was a draft where Vess didn't make it. But never when Dustin didn't make Got it because yeah. he's a kid. He's so a kid. I, I couldn't. <laughs> kill, I couldn't kill a kid. Yeah. That would really. I, yeah, I was like, Change damn, that'd be a very <laughs> killed stand by me right here. This very is, traumatic this is experience for those children. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the process with the script? Obviously, it's you know this is an amazing uh, draft, and we're reading it here. Um, is it a matter of uh, have you gotten any um, feedback from possible you know purchasing or anything like that? Or no, no purchasing. Um, you know, there's been a conversation with uh, a manager like a, a few months ago, but those sort of fizzled out and, you know, just sort of how it works here. Um, do you have That's why you're on the show to sell the hell out of it. <laughs> so buy it. Do you have a lit agent? No, I don't have an agent. You're I'm kidding not me. I'm unwrapped. I wow. don't have anything. I, uh, That's crazy to me. Just yeah, this, going will, this will get bought. Yeah. This yeah. is incredible. Well, yeah. and it's also it's the Thank right you. time. I mean, like I think maybe five years ago, producers would have been skeptical about the power of st- adult stories driven by children. Mm-hmm. But this little show came out two years ago on Netflix that it's doing pretty well. And then it, of course, yeah. And yeah. then did you guys see Dark, the German show? Not yet. No, I haven't. It's I like uh, time travels. In you should watch. You should watch. It. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so you said you started thinking about this about three years ago. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. So what were your thoughts? Did you have any thoughts when you saw the success of a, like Stranger Things? Like, <laughs> I was, I already knew. <laughs> well, it was, it, it's funny. Uh, so my, my friends, I have two friends that work at Netflix and they sort of get like Jesse's the, one of them, right? Jesse's one of them and then my friend Chris who works Ooh, there too. Insider baseball. Insider <laughs> baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, and, uh, and oh, so Jesse. He, he, showed, he showed me uh, like the trailer for Stranger Things and I was like, this is so cool. Like, this is awesome. I was just like, I was a fan right away, and I, I didn't think about it like from a selling point. I just sort of thought about it as like you know these the Duffer Brothers are brilliant, and you know they did this, so you know how can I do this? It's it's different because it's it's you know interdimensional beings and aliens and right. you know all that stuff. And this was more of a Goonie style, so it it was inspiration. They were also like, okay, I'm gonna back off of that a little bit. It was just great to sort of see it working, and that mm-hmm. was that was a lot of fun. And that's a good thing too because you know when something like Stranger Thing hits. You know other networks, whether digital or TV, or they're going to be looking for other projects in a similar genre. So it's, it's a great thing that, that Stranger Things is so popular because yeah. projects like this are going to be more likely to be seen. Right. So right. Yeah, that's, that's the hope for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we just love the script, John. Yeah. Thanks for talking with us. Do you have any questions yeah, for us before we make our way out? Uh, no, I mean, did anything feel like it was overexplained or did it? feel like it dragged in any point I thought it was really quick I mean a story like this in only 110 pages you know nowadays you would see that going well over two hours right mm-hmm. yeah so I thought it was really fast it's, yeah. it's in good shape I, I think it's perfectly structured honestly okay. it's, <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty damn good man Thank you. Appreciate it. I that. feel like the pacing's really good. I also like uh, your two points when you interject both of kind of the sensitive parent moments mm-hmm. and yep. when you get to hear kind of the dad directly talk yeah. through the radio. Mm-hmm. I like that that was added, and I liked where you put it. Um, I did have a little bit of a question. Sure. About structure. So, Dustin, who drives the truck that gets the bullies? Dustin. Okay. Yeah. He's, he he's, he's from his older, brother, right? Yeah. yeah. But he's a little older he's than 14. him. Anyway. He's, he's, he's 14. He's 14. He's from his bro. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
gotcha. he's older and going to kick his ass once he comes home with it. <laughs> right, right. I remember saying that. <laughs> that was a great line. Yeah. That monologue, too, was, was really well written by Viv uh, yeah. and performed. That was great. Oh, story. yeah. Thank yeah. you. That was really good. Yeah, those are um, moments that could veer into melodrama, but fortunately they don't. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah, that's always my worry is like, is this too? Because it, it's definitely a line you ride, you know? Yeah. It's like, I mean, I was raised by a single mom, and so I had moments like that, and like, your mom does say shit where you're like, Mom, come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom, weird. <laughs> so, so weird, yeah. Uh, but no, it was, it was, it was perfect. It, mm-hmm. was, it was not too heavy handed, and it would seem very real. You know? I, think, cool. I think what happens is really placement because I think if you take even though it's really well written if you took the dad talking through the radio and you put it at the very mm. end it has a very different weight to it than how you interjected it into yeah. the adventure yeah. like it's a motivational point it's a turning point right. it's not a resolution and the exactly. fact that you never talk about how the dad died right? yeah yeah, I mean, I, I I tested a few things, but it seemed way too specific. No, and, it's perfect. You know. in, in movies matters. like this, though, yeah. you don't need to right. say mm-hmm. it was a uh, you know a diagnosis. <laughs> right. I didn't. I didn't want it to be like cancer or a plane crash or whatever. Open for everyone to relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can kind of project your own thing onto mm-hmm. it. So. That, yeah, and we want we want those moments in a movie like this. Right. If this was a different movie, maybe Viv's speech would have felt a little. But there's an element. It's a feel good movie, and there mm-hmm. is an element of five percent fantasy, right, where everything yeah. doesn't need to. Be be exactly as we know it but even still it's still grounded and it's a world we know but we like that escapism in movies like this we yeah need totally it, i think so what happens with the gold what happens with the gold that's yeah. a good question uh, Wash down the river. it just it just right. sort of uh, yeah i didn't want anybody to kind of go back and find it and it kind of you know be plundered so i just wanted it to just sort of disappear if they do be trapped it there's a chance that it's still he set it up to where the gold doesn't somewhere. go anywhere gold is still there yeah. <laughs> last radio two found gold <laughs> i love garrett's line of you know it, put it back it's not ours to take and i think that yeah. just, i feel like that showed a lot of respect to the not, not only the native american community but you know just the respect of you know people that died before you and, and I'd take it totally <laughs> <laughs> she'd uh, receive it right uh, yeah, yeah totally that's a shout out to the tomorrow show program, guys check it out on iTunes um, well John it's been such a pleasure and we can't thank, yeah, thank you, you enough for coming in and um, keep us posted man if there's anything we can do to help push this along we will for sure I really want to see this movie oh yeah, yeah. I do too um, so that being said, John, where's the best place to reach you if executives want to snatch this thing? Up? Uh, I mean, e- email's always great. John Swansiger sure. at gmail.com. Spell that. Cause uh, it's yeah, a- Swansiger is not an even easy name. Uh, J-O-H-N-S-W-A-N-S-I-G-E-R at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at John Swan 90 Perfect. Um, thanks again, John. It's been really fun. Thank you. Um, guys, if you, enjoyed today's, if you enjoyed today's read, I have a number of recommendations. I feel like my list is getting longer, but we read a script early in our time in the show called The End of the Stars that also deals with teenagers reconciling with lost parents. Um, it's a great script. We also read, if you're interested in sort of the teenage experience, we read a script six weeks ago called Oriole Park that's about a bunch of Chicago adolescents dealing with John Wayne Gacy in their neighborhood. And it's got elements of horror, but it's really... It is a coming-of-age movie, so I would check that out as well. Um, next week, we're reading our first play on the show, actually, which I'm excited Whoa. about. Yeah, yeah um, someone, <laughs> an after cool. buzzer, really wanted their work right on air, and so, I, of course, I said yes. Yeah. So we'll be reading a play next week, um, starting at 10 a.m. Um, in the meantime, guys, my name is Jeff Graham. If you want to find me online, you can do so at Jeffrey C. Graham. Along those lines, we would love it if you guys would rate our podcast. I know we've been getting more and more listeners. I've been getting some tweets here and there. It really, really helps us if, if you get on iTunes and rate our show. Um, Five stars only 
if you're not going to do that, then don't bother. Then don't bring <laughs> um, And keep letting us know. Give us some feedback, guys. What do you want to hear more of? Do you like the pilots? Do you like the features? Uh, keep us posted on what you guys think. Um, and again, you can do that for me at Jeffrey C. Graham on Twitter. Cool. Uh, everybody, I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And thanks again, John. Thank thanks you. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. Hey, Haley O'Connor on Twitter at Haley O'Connor. Uh, Johnny Laquasto at Jay Quasto and every single week with Roxy Stryer on DC Movie News right here. Woo-hoo. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm Sarah Stratton. I don't have those things, but <laughs> have fun with theirs. <laughs> Thanks again. We'll see you next week at 10 a.m. here on the Unproduced Table Read. Hey, guys. Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.